Tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Morning, welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. It won't cost you anything to make a call. And Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, following on from our conversations yesterday, should the junior cert be scrapped? Ali will join us live from Clahine today with reaction to a recent RTE broadcast that was seen as negative towards the area. The effect of livestock on global warming, orthopaedics with uh, Mr Stuart Edwards and a Be Well programme for the over 50s. Now where Mr Stuart Edwards is concerned, if you have a query uh, about hips or knees or ankles or feet or whatever, he can help you. And if you want to log your query with us, uh, it's 083 311 for text or WhatsApp. So once again, that's 083 311 You can email at any time. That's tip today at tipfm.com and whatever way you may contact we're always glad to hear from you. Let's have a quick look at what's making headlines in the newspapers today. To the Irish Times and, in fact, right across the newspapers today, much coverage of the Hutch uh, trial. And uh, the former Sinn Féin councillor, Jonathan Dowdle, has said that Jared Hutch told him that he was one of the team who shot David Byrne at Dublin's Regency Hotel six years ago. The Special Criminal Court has heard, and Mr Hutch pleaded not guilty to the murder of Mr Byrne on February 6th, 2016 at the outset yesterday of his trial, which is listed to run for 12 weeks before the non-jury court. To the uh, Daily Mail, the Cabinet has uh, signed off on a winter eviction ban to counter the cost of living crisis and the government estimates that 2,273 evictions will now not take place during the coming winter as a result of the ban. And while the ban gives tenants breathing space, I suppose, it is facing major challenges, as you can imagine, from landlords and uh, from opposition parties who said that it will not solve the rental crisis. And you will have heard a piece around that in Pat's bulletin uh, today as well. To the Irish Indo, the central bank decision to ease strict mortgage lending rules was made against the backdrop of rising interest rates and squeezed supply, according to Charlie Weston in the Indo today. Under pressure, home buyers will get some relief as central bank governor Gabrielle McAloof is uh, set to relax the rule and people can borrow only three and a half times their income. Now, under the amendment of that rule, house hunters will be permitted to borrow four times their income and uh, it's a a major boost, I suppose, to some degree for first-time buyers. Also on the Indo today, it was interesting to read this, that a fleet of jet engines Uh, will be bought to add power to the country's creaking electricity supply when outages loom. And they'll account for €350 million worth of emergency generation capacity the government is ordering to get the country through the difficult winters ahead. And uh, finally, on the examiner today, Mary Lou MacDonald is not a bully and pays for her own legal action. And uh, that's according to Sinn Féin's housing spokesman. Uh, Miss MacDonald has been nominated for a Politician of the Year award by the Coalition Against Slaps in Europe, 
which campaigns against high-profile individuals using uh, legal intimidation to shut down uh, criticism. But it's uh, an interesting story in The Examiner today. That's a look at what's making headlines. If you want to comment on any of that, 83 311 Now, the State Examinations Commission will issue the 2022 junior search results on Wednesday, the 23rd of November. The delay is being blamed in part, I suppose, on the shortage of examiners and the prioritisation uh, given to the marking of the leaving cert. But does this delay show that there's little regard for the junior cert? And if that is the case, should it be scrapped altogether? Well, Tony was in touch and Tony joins me now. Good morning to you, Tony. Good morning, friend. And uh, good to talk to you today. How do you feel about this, the, the notion of scrapping the junior cert, Tony? Maybe not scrapping it. We've, we've renamed it in the past. It used to be the intercert. Mm. We've renamed it. Perhaps it needs to keep pace with, with changes. Maybe there should be more assessments, things like that. Obviously, there's something fallen by the wayside in, in, in relation to resources to be able to, to correct these and, and provide these students with their results in a timely fashion. I, I fully understand the priority would have to be given to the leaving cert, given that people would be heading on into their um, third level and things like that. But certainly it's, it's important for, for a lot of people to guide them in their career choices and um, where they want to end up with those. But perhaps, if I'm not mistaken, once you, you enter third level, a lot of your um, assignments and things would be sort of assessment-based. Mm. Perhaps we started looking at assessments. Uh, not everyone can perform very well in an exam, and it seems a little bit crazy that uh, for the most for people that really go through national and secondary school, that your full education, sort of 11, 12 years, is, is, is squashed into a couple of hours at the end of it. And a lot of these exams just test your, your powers of retention, yeah. not yeah. the ability to actually do do something with that knowledge. Yeah, it's very interesting. And that emerged yesterday with one of our listeners, Tony, telling us that, you know, he had two brother-in-laws. They were bright guys. But when it came to sit down and do the exam, they sort of fell apart with it. So, again, like you point out, all the years of education and study and stuff, you know, w- w- was little good to them then. I, certainly from my own perspective, from what I remember of my uh, into certain and leaving certain, <laughs> I certainly didn't perform very well in them. Mm, mm. Uh, I, I, I'm not a believer in in, in cramming, and, and that's what we do. We put them under terrible pressure to produce the goodies for two hours, and it mm. does really test your power of retention of knowledge rather than what you can actually do with the knowledge that you might have. What would be wrong? With um, having, we give in, in my day we had, and I, I, I presume yourself, friend, you remember those big yellow um, logarithm tables and things like that. I, I do indeed, yes. We, we had the, we didn't have to retain a lot of this and the formulas. They were given to us. It was how you worked them was, was the important thing. And that was the skill, wasn't it? Sorry? That was the skill, how you used that, that them. Was really, you, yeah. you, even, you didn't have to retain all of these um, formulas and things from Aston Science. Mm. They were given to you. And it was how you were able to work that, rather than being, learning things verbatim, to be able to, to, to retain that and put it down on paper later. It just seems a very, very strange way of assessing somebody's... So is it something in a modular fashion, then, you're talking about, Tony? That well, you... I, I think... 
If you if you look at what happens um, for assessments and things in in third level and, mm. and submitting, the, perhaps it's it, it's a, an assessment that we should be doing certainly within secondary education, maybe not in primary, mm. but certainly in secondary education. That it would be assessment, and um, it, it it might rather than putting students under terrible pressure for for just an exam, that uh, how they've performed at other times. They may perform, we, as you said, there, there are people who fall apart in an mm. exam. Mm. And it, it mightn't mean that they're they're not uh, well able to do the job. It just means that they're not conditioned and, and suitable to sit down and, and be put under terrible pressure. The only thing is that if we end up having a, a leaving cert similar to what we have now, you made this point to Emma yourself, that it gives a good rehearsal period for that. I'm sure it does. But um, are we not doing now, is there not assessment for some of the, or I know during the, the, um, there was quite a lot of controversy in relation to it over the the COVID period. Mm. Uh, Is it it going to be continual? Uh, Are they going to have... Continual assessment, yeah. Mm. It's, it's, I don't know, it's a minefield. Certainly, I'd wish all the students that are waiting on their exam results, I wish them all the best. And having been there many, many years ago, it's not a nice time. Of course, back, back in our day, Tony, um, the, the intercert, as it was, then would get you a job. In fact, it would probably get you a job in civil service even, you know. So I, it was much more relevant, I suppose. It was, and, and uh, certainly a lot of people, uh, and we've all come across people in, in positions of authority and things, who probably only have the intercert, and mm. they only, yes. they didn't have a chance to go further. And they were well able to do the job, and certainly still are. We've only got to look into the world, uh, you know, some of these people um, who have done extremely well mightn't have finished formal education. For sure. It's not a one-size-fits-all, of course. We we have to try and get a mean line that that everybody will will, uh, be tested against. But certainly, I think we need to to look at it, and my my view would be that we need a little bit of a... um, assessment for all these exams in the secondary. Well, well, we've been promised uh, by the Minister a root and branch uh, review of uh, the exam, so it will be interesting to see what what comes out of that, because even the point system has gone completely out of hand uh, at this point, Tony. It certainly seems like that to me. Well, I I have a friend whose son is studying medicine in um, Tbilisi, because he couldn't get into it here. Right. Um, the points, I, uh, certainly, I'm, I'm certainly extremely pleased that I didn't have to go through the points system because I have no doubt I wouldn't have got very far at all. Well, it's very, I, I think medicine is up around 600 points, is it? Something, I, it, something it, crazy it, like it, that. It's very high. Yeah. It's very high. Interesting. Uh, Tony, really good to talk to you today and thank you for coming on with us. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. You now that's uh, Tony eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven, and the text and WhatsApp is 083 three double one double three double one. Now, yesterday we spoke to Derek Cagney of Modified Vapes about his views on regulating vapes in Ireland and indeed the distribution of them as well. Well, Brian was in touch with us, and Brian joins me now. Good morning, Brian. Morning, Fran. Thanks for calling me out. You're very welcome indeed. And I was intrigued with your correspondence with us yesterday because you you worked in the UK in pubs. You were on the door, I think. Is that right, Brian? Yes, right. Yeah. Yeah, I used to do door work in a few clubs and later in life just in bars, but yeah. And what about the vaping rules there? Well, 
the Bowery Brawls, I think if I remember it was about July 2007, was it, when it came? You was earlier than us over here, wasn't yeah. you? Um, and funny enough, I was working in a bar at the time, I'll tell you this quickly, and we had a bit of a refit before the smoking ban, and we finished it six weeks ahead of schedule. <laughs> the, the owner of the bar said, I don't want no smoking. Right. Oh, Jesus. And that was the worst. That was the worst six weeks of working on the deal. You, you had to stop people smoking? Stop people smoking six or seven weeks before the ban actually kicked in. Wow. And what, what, what kind of a reaction did you get from the punters on that? Oh, Essex people don't like being told what to do. <laughs> right. <okay. laughs> but we got through it, but it was a hard six weeks. Like he was constantly going after. But it was a man who just spent his money doing the bar up, so he right. didn't want smoking. Of course, yes, of course. Uh, but what uh, was there physical aggro over? Did you end up in scraps over it? No, no, no. no. Right. And how did you deal with that? Because you were on the door. Did you have to go in around the premises and say, look, could you put away the cigarettes, sir? Well, yeah, you would be... I would be out there. It could be I could be out the front or inside, so it would be who was ever floating around. Like, we would swap about. Otherwise, you get bored standing outside all night. Yeah. So, like, you know, you just swap around and then, then the vaping kicked in. Once the vaping kicked in, it was three strikes and you're out. Ah, okay. So, and and what about there was no law covering that, um, as far as I know. It was just no. the policy of the premises. Yes, it's exactly the same. It's like the no vaping rule um, is not, like you say, it's not legal. Right. Um, and it wasn't in the UK. It, you know, it's down to discretion, isn't it? I mean, I vape now. Okay. Um, and I used to smoke back in the day. Um, you just got to do it. Just, it, it, it and, I suppose out in the country. I mean, I live in Clock Jordan, so out in the country. Yeah. The smoke anyway, but the smoking generation is, is dying out anyway, isn't it? I think it is. Even though somebody was telling me yesterday that young women tend to be smoking and vaping now um, in, in considerably higher numbers than than young men for some reason, rather. But oh. I'm not sure if that's a fashion statement or or whatever. T- d- how much did you smoke over the years? Were you a very heavy smoker? I was a pack a day. Yeah. Were you so twenty or so a day? Yeah. And did vaping help you to stop? Um, in all honesty, I'll be honest with you. Now I still do have the odd major. Okay. Every now and then, but um, yeah, I mean, I feel better for it as well. I think, right. and the house, the house feels better for it as well. We save thousands. <laughs> yes, I can well imagine in redecoration and all of that. Um, but you, what is it? Just socially, you might have one cigarette then. Yeah, if I go out and you know, just times I fancy one. Sometimes I'll be driving the lorry and yeah, I might stop somewhere and buy a packet and they'll last me a few weeks. Like, uh, right, so it's like a treat for you. Yeah, it's a bit of a treat, yeah. But do you vape all of the time? Would you always have a vape on the on I've the always got the vape with me. Okay, right. That's inter- uh, interesting indeed. What, what do you make of... Um, I'm always interested in this because I travelled and played a lot of music in the, in the UK over the years and there's a very different style of door security uh, in the UK than there is here. What, what do you make of it here? Um, I think it's a it's it's a lot more laid back. Here. It is, isn't it? Yeah, 
I mean, I wouldn't be used to say like the likes of Dublin. I don't know how they perform. But, um, yeah, they're very laid back over here, more so than what we would be in the UK. Yeah, because my experience over there was it was very, very strict uh, indeed. If you showed any sign of being obstreperous in any way, you were out. Yeah, um, I suppose. Yeah, you have to. You have to be on. You got to be on. You have to be on the ball, and you need a good team. If you haven't got a good team, then you you know don't do the job because you know you never know what's going to happen. You could be having a lovely evening up until eleven, twelve o'clock, and then. They've all had too much laughing juice, and then it's it's all up in the air. Yeah. Did you have some scary experiences over the years? I would say about ten that were kind of heavy. Right. More so in the UK, in London, when I moved, because I lived in Essex before I come to Ireland. Mm. And um, I was only in a small venue. She was only hold about 400. Right. And we have six of, six of us would be on. Right, which yeah, which isn't bad. I mean, six six is is quite a lot. I mean, you wouldn't see that many here, I guess. No, nah, well, we yeah. had we had one, two, three. There was four door, three doors of, en- of entry, like so. You had to have three anyway. It still only leaves you three inside for four hundred. Right, it's interesting. It's it's a tough gig, uh, Brian. I don't know how you 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 did it over the. Are you glad to be finished all of that? I'm too old for it now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're I, not. I'm too old for it. I mean, uh, I did get called, wanting to get called back um, shortly before we, me and my wife moved over. Yeah. Uh, no, no. No, not for you now. But um, going back to the vaping, I, mean, I think it's, um, say, it should be down, should be down the public. I mean, the vapes don't really smell now, do they? So you think they should be used in inside in the pub? Yeah? No, I'm not saying they should be used. I'm not saying let people do what they want. Mm. Um, but I've, I've seen people use them now and then in pubs, and I, there's no smell of it. And I've never seen anyone complain. I've been in pubs around Nina, and yeah, no uh, one seems so, to say anything about so, it. Some of the people who complained to us were making the point that um, you know we don't know what's in. The vape, so therefore we don't know what's being spread around in the air. Does that hold any anything for you? I couldn't answer that question. Yeah, I'm not. It's above my pay grade. <laughs> I mean, I use a reputable shop in Nina. Yeah, uh, and I only buy proper products myself. My wife only buy proper products. Right, so you're careful about it, Brian. Brian, it was really good to talk to you, uh, and I hope they're making you welcome up there in lovely Clock Jordan. Um, oh, the finest. Yeah, thank, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, Brian, and uh, good morning to you. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. The text and WhatsApp is oh eight three three double one double three double one. Fran, there's two types of people vaping. There's the ones who are trying to quit totally, and the second one, it's just replacing. Uh, the cigarette for a vape. This is one of uh, our listeners. Um, okay, lots more coming into us, and I'll have a look through it, and I'll bring it to you in just a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry with Slattery's Garage. Puck on, you can't beat experience. With over fifty years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. Oh six seven two four one 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 or slatterysgarage.ie. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. I'm delighted one of our listeners uh, reminded me about this. It says here, could you ask Fran to highlight to local reps, councillors, etc., about the danger at the moment with the Ukrainian people walking from Dundrum House Hotel up to the village of Dundrum with the absence of a footpath there. I'm delighted you reminded me about that because I've come across it quite a bit because that's on the way home for me and indeed the way into work as well. And it really, 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 really is dangerous. And I would like to see somebody supply the Ukrainian people with some sort of high visibility uh, clothing as well because it really is necessary particularly at the moment where it's getting dark very early and where the weather is poor and all of that and the least we can do for the people if we're looking after them is to make sure that they're safe on the roads. I'm delighted you reminded me of that and I certainly will uh, bring it up with uh, local reps when I can uh, as well. Don't forget we have uh, our orthopaedic surgeon Mr Stuart Edwards with us in the final hour of the programme and again to urge you if you have a query for us about hips or knees or ankles or feet or whatever he'll be able to answer your query and give you some expert advice where that is concerned as well so 083 311 and we're always glad of course to uh, hear from you we'll stack up all of those and we will bring it to uh, Mr Edwards uh, when he joins us a little later on. Um, OK, Fran, more antisocial behaviour in Clonmel yesterday and this person is pointing out there was also a double social welfare payment. Uh, Clonmel was very busy with drug sales, it says here on O'Connell Street. Several youths uh, dealing on Parnell Street, the very same. Some were cycling the wrong way on one-way streets. And uh, this was all being ignored, it says here. This is a subject we're going to go back to because I know a lot of people feeling extremely uh, strongly about this. And we're going to do a piece, um, a recorded piece from O'Connell Street over the next uh, few days. And we'll be chatting to people, um, both business people and ordinary people who would be uh, using that thoroughfare. Okay, so we will be doing that over the next few weeks, we promise you. Interesting to read today that women are losing €500 Euro because of their reluctance to take the driving test, even though statistics show they are safer drivers. And the most recent uh, driving test figures show 26% more Irish men than Irish women sit the test. Now, however, that means that tens of thousands of young Irish women who have a provisional licence are losing out on the chance to knock around €500 Euro off their motor insurance premiums. And that's according to experts at uh, the broker's misquote.ie. The online broker, which specialises in car insurance for young women, said that drivers could save uh, hundreds on their premiums if they sit and pass their test. So there you go. But that's all fine and very well. But there's a huge backlog, of course, on getting your test as well. We'll take a break and then we'll be heading live to uh, Clahim. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 
If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1-800-938-007. Another listener on to say, yesterday the street, this is making reference again to O'Connell Street in uh, Clonmel, yesterday the street was full of drug dealing, uh, blatantly standing in front of busy shops and no hiding. It's, it's time for action says one of our listeners where that is concerned. So we're getting more in on that as well. Now, there was a special report from the RTE show uh, this week, which went out last weekend. It was a report on issues facing rural villages and, in particular, the pressure facing small businesses. Now, the show focused on the South Tipperary village of Clohean, but reaction from the people of Clohean has been very divided, with many claiming that it was very negative reflection of the area. Here's just a small clip from the programme. This is the village of Clohean in rural County Tipperary, nestled beneath the Knockmeal Down Mountains in an idyllic setting. It's Thursday morning and the village is quiet. So quiet, you can hear the signature calls of crows nesting in the derelict buildings of the town. But while it's quiet now, Clohine was once a busy, thriving village. And that's just a small clip from the programme. Well, our reporter Alison Highland joins us now uh, live from Clohine this morning. Ellie, good morning to you. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Now, what, what's uh, the reaction been uh, to this piece, Ali? Well, I can tell you, Brian, you can't hear any crows here in Clahine this morning. And it, you know, it was a strange piece, and people are quite frustrated. And um, I think angered really is a, is a fair word for it, because they felt it was a very poor reflection of Clahine. And almost gave a sense that it was a barren and desolate which absolutely isn't the case. So I'm here at Brown's Excel in Clohean, which is absolutely bustling this morning. Uh, it was even hard to get parking here this morning, Fred, I have mm. to say. So there's no fear of the village being really quiet. Right. And you've gathered some people there to chat to, Ali. I have. And just uh, to start with uh, local councillor Marie Murphy, who's here with me. Marie, just to gauge the reaction to the piece. First of all, did you know this piece was happening? No, I knew absolutely nothing about this piece as the local councillor. I wasn't asked to take part in it and uh, it was I was driving to Thurlis on, on Sunday afternoon when I heard the piece on the radio and I was shocked, angered and disappointed at the portrayal of Fahin because there are many, many positives in Fahin through the businesses, the services, award-winning businesses, services, shops, community groups. We have some fantastic community groups in the area that do a hell of a lot of business uh, or a hell of a lot of promotion of Bain as an area. You'll be speaking to Liam Fleming shortly on Shulela. Um, there, Shulela and the Rhododendron Walking Festival are involved in a haunted, petticoat loose haunted hike at the end of the month. That's sold out. You can't get it. It's so positive on that side of the second year running it. The, you have the old convent, an award-winning business here in Cullum. Cullum won um, Best Neighbourhood Thrower a couple of weeks ago. Um, the hairdressers has won national awards. The the hospital is a fantastic asset for us here in Cahine. And Parsons Green, with Parsons Green during the summer, the population of Cahine increases. And we even have some people that are in Parsons Green for the summer that come out and help tidy town, um, which is very active. Community centre is the 
a hub as well where there's an awful lot of stuff happening there and it's open for all. We've started um, Baltry staff classes there recently and teaching English um, too. But what aspects of the piece did you find were unfair or negative or untrue? To hear pros and Fahim, the only place you'll hear pros and Fahim is down by the community centre where there are lots of trees and up at Shannon Cemetery. I, you certainly won't hear pros on the street today. Um, also, like there have been changes in small rural villages and towns over the last 30 years, that's a given. But to portray Fahim in such a negative way on the national airways was very hard for any of us to listen to and the anger amongst people who would never say anything, you know, that they wouldn't give out about things. That's what I was going to ask you. What's been the reaction? Yeah. Oh, it's, people are really, really angry at the way um, that peace was out on national airways last Sunday. And, it, like, to be talking about things... I'm, I'm, I'm of a similar vintage to both of the uh, contributors from the Fahim area that were on it last Sunday, but your asses and carts, to be talking about stuff like that, like, they're gone with party. 50 yeah. years, you know. And um, so I, I don't know why they were talking about the past. You have to talk about the future. And there's there has been investment into the Fahim area. Um, the the bees, the car park, it's through national funds, whether it's the outdoor recreational scheme, whether it's for there is um, funding coming from the council for various events. So there is plenty of things happening around Fahim. We live in a beautiful area. The scenery of the V is, to my mind, um, second to none. Yeah. And um, we need to be promoting that in a positive way. And that was certainly not done by the piece on Sunday last. And I suppose just to be devil's advocate, Fran, and to be fair about it as well, you know, maybe the contributors of which our own John D was one of them, maybe they weren't aware of how it was going to be edited and how it was ultimately going to sound. So in fairness to them, but... Just to go around again, I'm here as well with Colin Brown from Excel in Clahim. Colin, like you've been a business owner in Clahim for a long, long time. How long exactly? I've, I'm here since 2014. And um, I have to say, like, I opened, I like, got massive support the whole time from the community and the wider area as well. So it's really good. So I think like that the art skill, like, didn't really give a good image of the whole town. And it definitely has a lot more to offer than what was on the Arabs themselves. So. Yeah. And as a business owner, the whole piece was kind of um, portrayed as this is the difficulty of facing small rural businesses. Do you think it kind of gave that message across, though? I don't know. Like, obviously, all, every business in the country now is up against this, this overhead and cost for this and that. And Bahin is no different. But I definitely think, though, like when you look at the businesses that are in Bahin, like Dave Parsons Green is there for 30 years. Like they're growing the whole time as well. And there's loads of new businesses after open. I definitely think Fahim seems the worst of its days, even like 10, 15 years ago. I know like you had the bank closed, you had the co-op and all this kind of stuff, but they were closed nationwide. And even like um, John G was saying there, like those kids like needing to get lifts and matches and the whole lot if they live like four or five miles away. That's all fine. But if you went into Waterford City, it's the same everywhere. Five miles away, you still have to get a lift into town to get it to match or whatever so I don't think Clahine is any different than that point so yeah. 
I mean, you've won awards here and everything. I mean, it's not like you're a struggling little village shop. Do you know what I mean? Oh, this is like, just tell us some of the awards. Well, like we've we've won the store of the year award um, with the Excel brand there two years in 2014 again 2017. This year we won a um, a neighborhood store of the year, and like there are things like that put us on the map, like and uh, so like that. I get massive support from all the local here. I always have from here originally, and that's why I think there's there's an awful lot of um, kind of anger, obviously, about yeah. the Arctic. When, well, but in general, like I can't complain about anything really. And I'm sure you're speaking to a lot of people coming in the door here at the Excel. What's been their reaction to it? Look, they're not happy. It was, um, I think, the whole article, the way there was, there was nobody really contacted about this in general. Like obviously, um, there was a few people that. Uh, were brought up to it, but in general, there was an awful lot of business people and locals. Like, and they couldn't have missed you, like, you're, you're on the main street. Like, there was loads of different groups here, like, even Liam would tell you there, like, the, the bank holiday June, June weekend, like, there could be five, six hundred people booked in for walks there, stuff like that. And, like, all of a sudden, these people are listening to a national radio station and been told, like, that there's bumblebees going down along the streets and talking about Aston Carp and all this kind of stuff, like, it's I don't really think uh, who's here as well then is Liam Fleming from Shulela. Liam, I know you're very cross. Give us your thoughts on it. I am, yeah, no, I mean like speaking to everybody in the village, like everybody is cross. Like and he's see why I mean to me it looks like some kind of a setup because if anyone knew anything about the village that he sees the thriving says like the person's green there, which is probably the top um, campsite in the country. I mean they're there with 30 years. John Carey is there with 35 years. John Corbett's there with, I don't know, probably, I don't know how many, 100 years. Like, um, if you were going to, to speak to business people, like, you'd be going to people like that who have seen it all. Like, you know, um, you know, so, like, to me, uh, very, very cross as, as how it seems to me that there was uh, some kind of an agenda there to, to portray Clahean as this, this declining place, which, again, is untrue. It came across on the national airways, which has a, listenership of nearly 200,000 people so that's gone out to over 200,000 people and it's coming to Sahin is, um, is a community that, that's um, in declining which is the exact opposite of what's happened. The, the population of the area is growing, there's an extra teacher going into the school over, um, you know, this is uh, I'm very angry. Do you really feel there was an agenda? Well, the, the, the people, the, some of the people that have contributed are well experienced enough and they know, they, you know, they, you don't have to be a blind person that to see what's going on in Klein, like the uh, and you know, the big the pop is an eyesore as a as a building, but the, the business from the pop went fifty years up the road to John Corbett, was the business Frankie Wise has been using the back of it as the top BMW dismantler in the country. Um so the business didn't go anywhere, you know, so um you know, so it's amazing just uh, I don't know how, how people could such a negative portrayal of it all. And in your with Shulala, and I know every most people are probably aware of Shulala, but just to remind some of our listeners, maybe weren't aware, Shulala is a very, very unique um, organisation. Just tell us exactly what you do. Yeah, of course, Shulala is a social enterprise, and um, what we do is basically we go communities and um, set up walking programs and just develop a walking culture in the community. And I suppose here in Taina is where it all started. And I suppose in one of the, you know, because this is the top walking destination in, in, in the country. Like, you know, we have three, we have three um, 
National Waymark Trail coming through here, the uh, East Munster Way, which goes from here to Carrick and Shore, 75 kilometre one, the Tipperary Heritage Way, which goes from here to the Rock of Cashel, a 60 kilometre trail, and the Avenue Way, which goes from here to Mallow, over 100 kilometres. These are all fabulous trails that you know, people are flocking to. You know, from all over the country and all over Europe. Oh, exactly. I mean, um, definitely, they're coming from all over the country, like the Colin mentioned there, the, the Rhodey Dendrum walking system, but like where. You couldn't get tickets first. You couldn't. Like, there's up to a thousand people um, coming in. They're coming from all over the country. Same as the Petticoat Loose Horse Hike we have next week. Rolled out. And again, they're coming from all over, all over the place. Because they know this is a, a walking destination. And it's not only, they're not only coming from the walk, but it's for the, the welcome they get when they come to the hospitality they get when they come to Plaheen. It's just, it's top class. I mean, you, you, if anyone has been down to the community centre, um, when they come back from the walk and the hospitality they receive, like, this is why they, they come back to this area. Like, and besides the, the stunning, you know, the, this Celtic Valley has been promoted. Like, B itself has been bringing tourism to, to the area over 100 years. The Celtic Valley, you know, the last 25 years, um, groups have been promoting it. Um, and that was before walking became a popular thing. Now. Exactly, exactly. And now, you know, it's, 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 everybody is getting in on the walk and, like, and you know, so we're, we're here right to go on to the next step. On to the next level, and then we hear stuff like just announcing national airways. Just to move on as well, Fran, who, who's also here as well as chairperson of the community centre here in Slaheen, that's Matty Matter. Matty, um, just tell us what was your first reaction when you heard the piece? Well, I'm very, very, very actually cross and angry, and to them, I'm very cross and angry because if it's raised Slaheen and the bad taste of Kunta, I mean, all the nation wide, I think there are 2,000 listeners on, uh, on Sunday morning, like, I mean, how bad does that make us now at this stage? Like, I mean, the people that came on on, on that uh, documentary that morning had took on, on an agenda on the team said they are right. And, like, they don't, they're not even from Kahin to speak about the village where they did. They should have come to one of us. They did for all our lives. Me, myself, Adam, uh, named uh, Kathleen. We were here all our lives. We know exactly what's where the village is going on. We're part of the community. We're volunteers for different things in the community. So they should be kept to us. We were thriving down here. Community council. As the best community council we'll ever have, I'm chairman of us. Like, I mean, how dare they win on their own privacy? And we're about saying, I'm so angry. I can't actually, in fact, I can't vouch it. But, Matthew, do you think it's kind of more reflective of the national attitude towards rural Ireland? And maybe this is how they see us? Well, it came in, it came on as far as um, prices of electricity now, for risk businesses, yeah. of course. But then it's not going to be different when they brought them. I know. Together in, in, in the home above, she, was, she got caught beat them because she didn't actually know what it was for at, at that time. And them, them that, that both of us, they had them in there. And they were in there. And I said, if I met them myself today, I'd say to them, like, it's wrong what they said about the village. They know they, they actually know about the village. They, 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 they have no excuse to say that they didn't know about it. That's, that's what I'm going to say. Like, I mean, so. Okay, and we'll hear as well then, uh, a few of our contributors have mentioned Parsons Green and Cathy Noonan from Parsons Green is here as well. Cathy, Parsons Green has been running a long, long time. How long now? Yeah, we're 31 years in business now in Parsons Green, and I'm here 45 years in Clahine running uh, building business as well. So um, our visitors come from all over Ireland, from Donegal to Belfast, Dublin, Kerry, or you, you name it. And they are repeat customers. They come back year after year because they love the place and they know the place. So I'd say if they were listening to that, they'd think it was a different clahine they were talking about. They wouldn't be able to believe it. 
But it's not alone that. The National Airways now have heard, and our business is a business that you want to grow and expand. And other people listening to that would say, well, what kind of a place is that? I wouldn't go there. It's very detrimental to the tourist, the tourist business, I find. And what they said was all like fake news, a lot of it, because they spoke about derelict houses. Now, if you go from the Tar Bridge in Clahine, there's a bridge over the River Tar, and walk up the street to the very top of the town, there's not one derelict house or unoccupied house. If you cross the road then and walk all the way back down again, the only place that's empty is the co-op. Every other house is occupied and there are no derelict buildings. The tidy towns people are to be credited with looking after the town all summer, doing all the jobs, making the place lovely for our visitors. Up the sea road, we have one of the best restaurants in Ireland. And people listening to that, they're going to say, what kind of a town is Clahine? Where you have to participate in it, because I would have thought you would have been a prime person to ask. You've been running a business here. You have the tourism aspect of it as well. You weren't asked at all? I wasn't that. And I don't know who gave those boys a mandate to go on National Airways and say what they said. They had no mandate from anyone in Clahine or in the environment. They're not involved in the business life of Clahine. They're not involved in the social community of Clahine. They don't have anything to do so how they could go on air and talk to the whole country and in such a negative way. Is it fair maybe they weren't aware of how it was going to, to sound at the end or how it was going to be? Yeah, but if they had a plan or if they had a new idea or something to go forward and the people could, we could get together and do something, something positive, it would have sounded much better than talking about donkeys and carts and the creamery and frozen chimneys. Would you be afraid that this could have repercussions for your business? I think it would have. Well, anyone listening to it would say, why would you go to Clahine when, it, when there's nothing there, derelict buildings? Why would they come here? There's nothing positive about it. There's nothing about this, the communities and the associations that are here. We have a drama society that put on shows every year. You know, we have the tidy towns, as we said. We have the GAA. The, the kids are all, you know, look after. You know, it's a vibrant town. And a great tourist destination, as Mr. O'Dwyer said. It's an ideal spot, idyllic, between the Knockmill Downs and the Gassy Mountains, and the rivers, the fishing, the walking, the cycling, everything. Can I ask you, it's been a tough time for, for businesses and also for tourism. So you've kind of been doubly hit, but do you, do you feel like you're on a recovery and that kind of that hasn't been reflected? The past few years, we've had the best year. It's a, it's a growing business. And it's been the best years we've ever had. We haven't gone backwards in any way. And I think the business is here. Column says here is going ahead. Corbett, we can't get parked in the street any day of the week because of the business. There are big tractors and machinery and farmers up and down the street morning, noon and night. They're coming in for their breakfast roll. They're getting, you know, they're using the, the hardware store. Um, there are trucks um, delivering stuff, delivery trucks every day of the week. So I don't know where how they came up with that idea, but this is a dying town. It's alive and well and vibrant, and like every town in the country, is affected by the cost of living, by electricity. They're all talking about. It. We all know that. Why was Clonmel picked out from all the towns in the country 
why would RTE come down here and pick us out and, and do such a negative? Why did that happen? Marie, then, to finish up with you, has anyone been in contact with RTE since the PPA? Yes, there have, people have been in contact with RTE. I've um, been on to RTE myself about it, but I don't expect that we'll get a right to reply on RTE. Um, I would hope we will, but I don't see that happening. But, but you can... Since you've been here this morning, you, the place has been non-stop, yeah. absolutely bustling. Most of the businesses in town, a lot of them that are very well established and have been there, some that have been in, in uh, families for generations, they're still going strong. You know, the portrayal last Sunday was um, was extremely dis disappointing for anyone listening to it. Even on most Thursday mornings, there's a group of old, older women that meet for a coffee at the Market Stone, and uh, they give out to me about the fact that they have to park up at the church to walk down yeah. for their coffee and stone. You know, there's lots, lots of stuff happening in the area. We're, when you drive from Care through Clahine on up the V onto Lismore, on the nicest drives in the, in the country, you come around the bridge at Salubi and you're looking up at the mountains. You couldn't ask for finer scenery. And that's what we're, all of us here this morning, we all see the positives. We all work hard in the area to ensure that it, the benefits are there for us to see. You know, anything that we're asked, as whether it's Tidy Towns, Community Centre, Shulela, Dendron Festival, Men's Shed, they're all involved in stuff as volunteers for the betterment of the area and just to listen to um, the street contributors on RTE this week last Sunday. Um, it, it's like you displayed a balloon but uh, it, it was just so shocking. Okay, well, friends, there you have it. That's the mood in Slaheen following that, uh, the airing of that uh, episode on RT over the weekend, which I think is still available online um, that people can listen to and, and maybe make their own minds up on it. But locally here, uh, the reaction to it has been very negative and very frustrated to it. Ali, thanks very much indeed uh, for that and uh, good morning to you. That's our own Alison Highland uh, live from Clahine this morning with a lot of anger and frustration there, as you might have heard, um, reacting to the This Week programme that went out last week on RTE and a lot of people there feeling that it gave a, an unfair uh, version of what uh, village life is and what the village is doing indeed. A beautiful village, in fact, I know it very well, of uh, Clahine. Somebody saying we need to be honest with ourselves. Rural villages and towns have declined. There's a lack of transport, infrastructure, economic investment and support. Local communities are trying their best, but we have been failed by numerous governments. This is one of our, our listeners, but certainly there are places like like Clohine, who are fighting back and doing the very, very best uh, they can and uh, local people investing in the rural areas as well. Now, I brought up, well, one of our listeners indeed um, reminded me about that situation from Dundrum House right up to Dundrum Village with uh, the Ukrainian refugees. Now, some of them making their way uh, up that road 
and uh, without a footpath. Um, uh, Martin Brown was on to us to say, Fran, we've been in contact with the council now for near on 12 months requesting a footpath from the Convent Cross down to the bend at the Rectory Hotel to join the footpath uh, there. This was even before the Ukrainian people came because there are a good few children on that stretch of road at school-going age. So um, uh, that's in from Deputy Martin Brown. So uh, we're waiting something to happen there. But in the meantime, if there's any way that we could get hold of some um, high visibility stuff for the refugees who are there. If they are making their way to the village, it would be very, very useful because I think it's very dangerous indeed. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat, and you're very welcome back to Tip Today, 1800 Listener says, I was up in the centre of Clamell yesterday and it was so rough I had to divert away from a shop as a person outside it was verbally abusing another and I thought that a fight might break out. It doesn't feel safe uh, anymore. There was no guardie around. Um, the town is suffering big time. Can they not put a guarda? in the, the centre of the town to see what's going on and people may feel safer and come into the town centre instead of going elsewhere. It's so sad for the town and its people deserve better. This is one of our listeners now following a recent um, a joint policing uh, committee meeting. I'm glad to be joined by Richie Malloy, who was part of that meeting. Good morning to you, Richie. Good morning to your fan. And thanks for coming on with us today. It's interesting that we're getting these stories in uh, following that uh, meeting, Richie, and we heard Pat give us some details from it. Um, you told me last week that you didn't have an, all, an awful lot of faith in the committee. Um, do you feel a bit better after the meeting? I must say, I, I do, because I thought now at the JPC meeting that a kind of a sense of realism was at the meeting, you know, that most uh, public representatives that were at the meeting really spoke their minds this time and we discussed various incidents. And you see, normally up to now, the JPC just kind of focuses on general policies, mm. but nothing in specific. So you'd often be saying to yourself after two hours, what did we really achieve? The only disappointing thing probably was that, you know, the way the Garda Division now has been changed, like that we'd say the Chief Superintendent, Derek Smart, is being moved to Limerick. Mm. And we'd say he was always based in Torres mm. for this district. But now the new Garda district will comprise of Clare and Tipperary, with the Chief Super being based in Clare. Mm. Now, I, for one, don't think that's a good idea because we're further and further away from the people that are making the decisions about where resources go. You know, So that was definitely probably a disappointing factor. And the other part, like most of that meeting I was spent talking about the CCTV cameras being introduced into Carmel in 2023. And, you know, it, it sounds well and good and it looks like there's going to be cameras everywhere, a lot of new locations being put into the Grand Shore Island and Davis Road. But the, but the big factor all the time, 
um, plan is, is when will, will the funding be available mm. for it, you know, when it's all said and done. And uh, what do you think about that? I mean, where where is that strand of funding coming from, Richie? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I will say going back a, a long, long number of years when Michael McDowell was the Justice Minister, mm. and I made, I made that point at the JPC, that when he was Justice Minister, we were talking about CCTV cameras for all over Clanmel, and that's many, many years ago. But, that, you know, while we did get some cameras, but a lot of the times it got tied up in data protection issues and funding is, is the big one. Like on the real point I was trying to press home at the CCR at the JPC on Friday was that we really do need members of the Gardaí in the main streets. I think one of your listeners just rang in there saying yeah. much the same mm. thing. That, like I spoke to a number of trailers in the last couple of days and there's a video circulating around yeah. You know, showing an incident there. In, I, I saw it. Matty McGrath sent me that. And that's very unfortunate yeah. looking, isn't it? I mean, it, it is really. Like, and I, like, you know, we're, we're always caught as public representatives. We don't want to frighten people off from coming into no. town. You know, because we, no. well, the incidents like that aren't happening every day. But at the same time, we have to accept, I think if you had two members of the guard standing at the main guard, which they would have been doing years and years ago, it creates a presence in the area. Mm. And I think you would see less of these incidents. Now, but the biggest problem all the time is that, from what I understand, again, in the last week or so, you know, there's only something like six Gardaí on duty. And if, if you have two members in the station, you know, you can see where your numbers are then, you know, there yes. must be in the... Because you have people out in the p- patrol cars and, and uh, that. so they're, they're just not available for these kind of... They're just not available. On, on the, the, chief patrols, super, huh? the chief superintendent did say that like it is a challenge. Now, you know that recruitment and all the rest mm. of it is taking time and that the numbers and there. But until we see the members on the streets, now they were, they have been more active. I would say that, in fairness to the super, there has been Gardaí up and down um, that's just on and off. But you need you need that nearly every day, especially at the weekends. Well, we, we we've board. been hearing from people this morning, and uh, you know these people have no agenda except they'd like to shop in the in in, in the middle of Clonmel. But they're they're having issues with what they saw yesterday: open drug dealing happening on the streets, Richie. Yeah, and I mean it, it's shocking, really. And you see, we can't keep saying that it's not happening. To, you know. Because sometimes you're saying to protect the image I know, of the town I know. and so on. And we don't want to make make it sound like that. But definitely people are saying to me, and even traders themselves, and in fairness to Emma and their, you know, I was trying to encourage the traders maybe to come on and discuss their mm. uh, various situations. But I'd say traders are afraid to draw these people on them. And that's you know, the that's thing, that. and that's why we, Emma, got back to some of the people making contact with us, and they're afraid to come on and talk to us too. Yeah, and I mean, it's not a kind of a shocking thing in, in this era that people would feel feel that way. But at the end of the day, Fran, with the JPC, now I'd say on Friday it was a more productive meeting than normal, <clears throat> but we'll have to keep pressure on mm. as the public reps. And you know, there's a district meeting this morning now the Camel District meeting, and the CCTV camera will be kind of, the report will be launched again at that meeting. But the big thing is to get the funding as soon as possible, because the more cameras you have around, definitely the more protectors you are, and there's evidence there afterwards to show who did what. Was was it brought up uh, at uh, the meeting, Richie, that, you know, people are concerned about reporting crimes to the Guardi and and this is because they they feel they might have to reveal their names and stuff and that they might end up in a court situation and they 
you know, they're afraid of that. Definitely, no. That 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 point was made several times over because that came up a lot in the Mile Rovers meeting there yeah. last week that people were nervous about giving their name. But at the end of the day, the chief super was saying that without that, it would be very difficult to bring convictions. You know, people aren't willing to report. Now, I'd encourage again this morning that if people see even incidents downtown to ring it into the station mm. because in a case like that, they wouldn't necessarily be involved in a court case. I think if they were to ring it into the station, the guarantee would react and send a car out, provided, of course, there's the resources there mm. to do it. But it would be better to have a reporters of, say, if there was an incident in the main streets than not to report it. I mean, somebody... You see, the difficulty always is Everybody will say somebody should do it, yes, but it I can know. often end up that nobody actually does it in the end. Yeah, you know, but and, and the, in, my my understanding is that the chief superintendent made this point that they have, and I know that Superintendent Willie Leahy made it on this program as well, where he said, "You have to make contact. They they have to react to a complaint." Well, they do, and in fairness, they would. If if somebody rang in and said there's an incident in O'Connor Street. It would be reacted to, but somebody has to pick up the phone. Even with the video that was circulating, you know, a lot of us as public reps got that video from different sources. But I suppose the important thing is that the Gardaí, and I think they do have, as far as I realise, Deputy McGrath has sent on those videos to the superintendent. Mm -hmm. You know, at least that way, because there's no good having it circulating around and not actually informing the Gardaí as such, because then, you know, they're unaware. Of the incident. And even the number of things that are recorded, I suppose, at the end of the day, does help to get more resources. You know, I suppose they have to show that there's a certain number of incidents actually happening every month. And if that's not reported, you know, we'll never see these uh, numbers increase. But community guarantee, I think, is the only way to go and having members walking up and down the main streets. And I think that way we'll take back the you know, take right. back the town from these people. And uh, Richie, can I just finally say, in your own experience, and again, I'm very careful about this because I love the town of Clonmel and I think it has so much character about it and beautiful places to go and all of that. But in your experience, have you seen deterioration? I have to admit I have. I mean, it's still a lovely town to shop in. You know, there's great friendliness in any of the shops that you're going to. You know, I'm thinking of Bob Fitzgerald off the top of my head. Yeah. You know, yeah. staff that would go all out to help the customer and so on and the, the yeah. various... Beautiful restaurants and pubs and uh, the cafes. You really and do. Yeah. And often people would remark that to me, you know, mm. that uh, they might be from other areas and mm. they'd be saying, you know, what a lovely town you have. But these... But, you know, I can't I can't um, disguise the fact that, you know, we've lost a number of businesses mm. in the last couple of years and the derelict shops are the big thing, like, that we have to keep after that to make sure that they're not left all into disarray because that creates an impression in itself. But I suppose you want the message to go that Clanmel is a safe place to shop at, which it is by and large. And I think if we can see Gardaí walking up and down the streets, that will bring back that sense of confidence to people, especially the older people, you know, to encourage them to come in and buy us oh. for a cup of coffee and a chat. All right, Richie, thanks very much for coming on with me today. Thank you and uh, good morning to you. And this Councillor Richie Malloy speaking to us there. Let's go to, to John now. John, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? you? You're making a very interesting point, John, because you're saying what hope has Clonmel when you consider what's happening in Dublin to the likes of O'Connell Street? Well, this is it, and it's a shame what's happening in Clonmel because I've been through Clonmel many times. Yeah. stopped over there, and it's a lovely, a lovely area. And um, 
When I watched the prime time last night there and uh, the piece they sent out, the undercover reporters there and they did some secret filming and what came back like it was absolutely disgusting and appalling. Like if if you look at the old footage and the old documentaries from mm. there, the old pictures of O'Connor Street, it was an absolute stunning street. There's beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful architecture there, like mm. but I mean to see it run down now, I mean not alone commercially with nothing but phone shops and hackney shops and pound shops and whatever you know, over the years. But to see it actually the amount of drug dealing on the street. And I, I didn't see it last night, John, so would you just sum it up for me? I mean, what did they show? Oh, it was undercover footage, was it? It was, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, a lot of the stuff was, was uh, I mean, some people might say it's, it's low-level low dealing, but uh, all drugs are drug dealing. So the whole thing is that they showed a lot of drug dealing on the street, a lot of anti-social behaviour, like, I mean, of fighting and intimidation, and they interviewed a lot of the people that were involved, the flower seller on the street, and different people that had different businesses there, and they all said that they saw a huge deterioration in the street. And it all came down to one thing again, the lack of policing, bodies on the street, uniforms on the street. Just like Clonmel, you need the guards on the ground to be seen. That, that's the deterrent straight away, and if something kicks off, and they're actually there to deal with it. And this is what's happening, and like, with the greatest respects to the caller that you were on there, well, the goal before me. Councillor like Richard Malloy, yeah. Yeah, these mm. joint policing committees, we've got them here as well in Cork, right? Mm. And I'd be on such a friend, all they have is talking shops. Well, in That's fairness, Richie himself came on this programme last week and, and he made that point that largely yeah. it was, but he saw an improvement this time round because people yeah, are, yeah. Are, are speaking out, I suppose, John, you know? Well, you see what's happening here, and it's uh, from Clan from Mill. To O'Connor Street, to Cork City, to whatever in between them, like Waterford, Galway, Tipperary, whatever, is to me, it's political policing. This is what's happening. The, the people on the ground, like the local super superintendents, are not making enough noise and they're letting the people in their areas down because they don't want to rock the boat. Harry Truman, the, the, the former president yeah. of America, yeah. uh, I think he was a Turkey Talk president or whatever, uh, he had the sign made, commissioned up on his desk. And the sign said, the book, the book stops here. here. Yeah. 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 In other words, I'm the man. Whatever goes wrong, whether it is good or bad, I'll take the blame. If something is not working out, it's my fault, right? God, I wish, I wish an Irish politician had that on their desk. I, I wish to God we had, because at the moment, I mean, we like this present, uh, uh, the, the Helen McIntyre was yeah. interviewed in prime time after, and all she did was just blather on... I mean, she was cut out completely. She made a statement previously saying that there was a guard station not going to be open in O'Connor Street in Dublin. And it turned out when the point time team checked it out, friend, that it was just going to be information for tourists only. Oh, this came God's back sake. from the guard themselves. So that means the Minister of Justice was only just bluffing. Now, we've had a long line of, of, of Minister of Justices, and I'm sorry. I mean, I'm all for women in politics, but I mean, we've had Francis the Shovel, we've had Nora Owen, We've had the current minister know, and they're failing abysmally. We had the first female um, uh, Gardaí, Noreen O'Sullivan, uh, commissioner, and she didn't last five minutes. The, the, and the reason this is happening because people are not doing their job. It's simple as that. But hold, that hold, hold on now, John. Are you pointing at the fact that they're women that they failed? Well, 
Well, I'd say that there were more women in politics, right? And I 100% agree with that. But I always follow it up, friend, by saying I want the, the right women. Right. I don't want women just appointed for the sake of it, like that are not up to the job. The same as I don't want the male of the species just being put in there because he's popular in the local area as a councillor and then they shove him up to BTD and he gets elected. But if he's no good at the job, and if his heart isn't in the community, he's no good to you, he's no good to me, he's no good to the people of Clannell. And, and do you think this has become an issue? Do you think that that people are appointed because of their sex? And is that? Well, I, I think it's been happening. It's been happening for youngs. It really has. Yeah. Like, and it, it's just not good enough. Like, I mean, if you take it right back to Nora Owen when she was mm. the minister yeah. for justice, right? I mean, all these people, these characters that have sung some of them before the courts, right? Decades later, right? Mm. They were all around friend at him, and everyone knew what they were up to, right? And it took the mother of a young mother. Veronica Gillen, to kick-start the whole thing. The cab was set up overnight. Yeah. Why couldn't the cab have been set up before Veronica Gillen was shot? And the why cab has been hugely be... successful, of course. It was indeed, yeah. yeah. But why couldn't it have been there before that? It took the death of that young woman, that one investigator, a reporter, a young mother, who was exposing all what was going on. Everyone else seemed to notice going on, but no one was doing anything about it. The same as today, Fran. It's not good enough that the people of Clanmill are not feeling safe by day or by night are the people of Cork City, are the people that can walk through the main boulevard, which was once a fantastic street, O'Connell Street in Dublin, yeah. and, and they're not safe for the simple yeah, reason. Yeah, and I'm very fond of Dublin, and I spent an awful lot of time there, but to be honest with you, John, and maybe like yourself, I would not, even in daytime, walk down O'Connell Street in Dublin well, now. Well, you see, the problem is in any city, like, I mean, you take Clamwell, take Cork City, take uh, O'Connell Street in Dublin, you have two economies, fan, right? Mm. You have the daytime economy, which the people need to come in and they need to feel safe and they need to shop and they need to get in and get out the proper transport or whatever. But also you have a nighttime economy. Mm. And people know who go, because there's, there's friends of mine living in Dublin, they wouldn't go within an access road of O'Connell Street or the centre of Dublin. And right? tell me what you mean by, by the nighttime economy then. Are you talking about drug dealing, prostitution, all of this? No, I, I mean the nighttime economy, I mean like where bars, uh, like, I mean, and restaurants need to function. And where people need to go out and when they're finished their day's work, they need to meet their friends, relations, whatever. I mean, husband's wife and, and their friends, and go out and have a meal and know that they can walk from safely a bar to a restaurant and, and get a taxi or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. not the case. You're telling me that it's not the case. There are people in Cork City, you know, at night. You know, no, the restaurants are they're they're, they're taking over. Mm. Okay, but mm. it could be better. But there's people I know now with good disposable incomes, though, Fran, and I guarantee it's just happening right across all the major cities in this mm. country, right? They have good disposable in, uh, in pensions, but they won't go out at night because they're afraid. And the reason they're afraid is because what's happening in the streets. And the one thing that keeps coming back to me all the time is the lack of policing, the lack of the yellow jackets on the streets. And, 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 and tell me something else, because I'd love your opinion on this. Loads of people onto us from Clonmel with various different stories about the town and their issues with the town. Nobody wants to talk to us on this. They're afraid. Does that surprise you? It doesn't really, because uh, I think, uh, you see, what's after happening for people, there's a fear out there, no? I mean, that's something like, I mean, things have changed as a gas criminality, that it, if it got out, no, that I report to somebody, you know. And by the way, if you see all the squad cars and the paddy wagons, the confidentiality number is up there, so mm. I presume that's exactly what it says, mm. confidential. So, I mean, that means my name or your name shouldn't come out. We should be able to give evidence, right? 
sign a statement, that should be enough. We shouldn't have to go to court mm-hmm. and face the local drug dealer who might burn my house down the following night or one of his buddies. People need to feel safe by being uh, giving their evidence, right? And not everyone, there should be a system there. Not everyone has to physically go to court. It's, if you sign a statement, I mean, that should be enough. And you give, like I, I, I numerous, yeah. I've got numerous people arrested in the stone because I see people breaking into cars, I doing vandalism. I saw a guy we see there, and he kicked over a beautiful motorbike and knocked it over down onto the street and damaged the bike. I rang the guards straight away. I gave the, the guards said, "Can you give a description?" They looked, they got the cameras up, and they got him, and they came along, and I spoke to the guard. I said, "Look, I prefer no. If I was involved in this, I rang it in. You have the CCTV. You you have the the, the, the actual bike. You can see the damage done to it." And they said that's kind you can go away and know when they went into the fast food restaurant and they arrested the two guys and did you were you afraid I mean was there any fear about you doing that that no because I, I, I feel look I mean you know if we're all going to be going around terrified I mean saying look or just just anti-social behaviour in my area there in Ireland they damaged my car last night so they damaged the person next to our car but if we looked and see anything we'd get it repaired and you can't run on this and we'd be worse snow and we'd break the windows the next night which is just fine we can't live like that this, it was never like what has changed society was never like that so something has dramatically changed and I believe it's the lack of policing because uh, I remember when I started going with first as a young guy in the 70s right there, were, there was police all over Cork City if you went anywhere like I mean to, down to Middleton if you went anywhere mm. there was always police on the streets no fight with the Cork City tonight I won't see a guard I want to see that. And, and recently yeah. there, Father Matthew's statue, you're probably familiar I, with I it. I know there. it well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody, uh, and they took more than one, they actually climbed up with, and they got a wheelie bin and they put it over the top of the statue's head. No, how did they do something like that without the cameras below in Angus Street and Cork here are supposed to be monitored 24 7? It must have been seen. Must have been well, seen. Well, I tell you why it wasn't seen, Fran, because there was nobody monitoring the, the cameras because the bodies weren't there. Well, there were at least 100 guards in Cork City. Nobody was looking at that camera for that precise Well, time. that's interesting because Richie was talking to me there about, you know, more CCTV. But you're right. Unless people are monitoring these cameras, sure, what good is it, you know? Well, this is it. I mean, you know, I mean, if there's, if there's no one actually looking at it, they can put out a call and respond straight away. I mean, it would be the same thing if the person has been assaulted on the street. And another thing really irks me. I guarantee you, if there's a protest on Saturday in town about the cost of living or something, you're going to three or four undercover cops, right? You're going to have at least half a dozen, if not more, uniform guardies standing around. The last one that was there, no, he was at it. And there was guards all over the place. Yet if you went to town to Cox City tonight, if you go down to Canberra, you probably won't see a guard. All right, John. Always good to talk to you. And thanks yeah, for coming too. on with me, John. Thank, Thank you. you. Good morning to you. That's uh, John. Let's uh, stay with the phone lines and let's go to Tracy right now. Tracy, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Thanks and, for having me. And thank you for talking to me, Tracy, because most people seem to be afraid to speak out. Yeah, well, I feel you do have to speak out on these issues. Yeah. It's important. And what what do you see going? I mean, do you, I mean, are are you a firm believer that we need more guardy? Is that is that what's at the bottom of all of this? Well, we do need more guardy, but we also need the guards to be able to take action. Like, I've had a lot of times where I would report, say, I've had fuel stolen from my backyard, and the guards come out and they say, well, there's not much we can do. So Why? Because no there's not... No evidence, evidence really. Or... There's no CCTV to prove that there was people in my backyard, but yet I have my fuel gone. 
And what what about around the town and the like, Tracy? I mean, what what do you see happening? Do you see a similar situation to what we're talking about in Clonmel? Well, there would be down in the park in Thurlis, you would see antisocial behaviour. I don't go down there much anymore with Wh- my daughter. Why? Why? Well, I suppose you don't really want to be around antisocial behaviour, right. especially with a young child. So you'd be fearful about going down to... Yeah, well, I wouldn't want her to be looking at it, and I wouldn't want her to become afraid either. Do you, do you fear for her growing up, Tracy? I would, especially around with things, the way things are going. Mm. Like, you see a lot of bad things happening in the news. Do you know, with murders and antisocial behaviour and all of that, it's, it's getting quite bad. Mm. And, like, I've had a lot of things happen. Like, I've had assaults happen to me down in the past and again the guards have done nothing for me I even had an instant where it went to court no you, you, you don't guards, don't don't give me any details of a court case because oh, otherwise no, I'd be no. being hassle over that but but you report these things yeah I report these things and again nothing was done back and me. again is it down to evidence Tracy is it no the evidence was lost right that's what happened why nothing was done are, and I got are people are people in general are are they are they disappointed in how we're being policed and how we're being? I think so, and I think this is why a lot of things aren't reported because sure they're saying sure the guards won't do nothing. Now you know you the guardee will say that they don't have the resources to do that, or they need you know to be properly informed yeah. about crimes and all of that. And oh, well, I do understand that they have certain procedures they have to do and. Do you know, but like it doesn't help when you're the victim in a situation. Yeah. And you feel they're doing nothing for you. Now, when I spoke to Guardian on the programme last week, they say that that might be the impression that people get, but that behind the scenes they are doing work and they are doing investigation and stuff. Yeah, in certain cases. Now, I did see, say, around up here, there was instance where there was young lads messing out in the street mm. near where I live and I rang them because they were going to get themselves killed on the road. Yes. And they came straight away. Well there so certain things. Yeah, so so for certain things, as you say, they, they react uh, very quickly as they did in that case. Yeah. But right. that again depends on how busy they are. Absolutely, and who's available or how many guardians yeah. are available and I think some nights I was talking to him on another occasion again something else was going on and there was only one car that's all they had yeah I think that's disgraceful all right, Tracy. Thanks as always, and uh, good to talk to you today. And thank you for coming on with us uh, to eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Fran, we've been hearing about antisocial behaviour for years now. It's not about the amount of guardian on duty. If uh, the guardie caught all the cur- culprits now, they'd be back on the streets in just a few hours with a slap on the wrist. The Irish law system is designed to protect the criminal. Funding is uh, needed. Um, I beg your pardon, funding is not needed, just give harsher sentences. And that sums up how quite a few people are feeling uh, this morning as well. Uh, Fran, a headline in last Saturday's Examiner, a town with half of the county's uh, drug detections on a cliff edge relating to Clan Mill, not a good ad for the town. 
Uh, somebody else saying guards on the street are lack of in this case, wasn't it? Alan Shatter who took the guards off the streets uh, years ago and they were going to do big work in the offices, an absolute disaster in every town and village now. And uh, kind regards, and that comes in from Michael this morning. Um, okay, and lots more coming in. Let me just have a look through it and I will bring it to you in just a few moments' time. It's 10.35. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067-24111 or slatterysgarage.ie The effect of livestock on global warming is inconsequential. And that's the theme behind a meeting that's being held next Tuesday evening. That's Tuesday the 25th of October in Bursa Lee. Now, John Harrigan is a farmer and a member of the New Futures Farming Group, and he joins me now. Good morning to you, John. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today, John. That's one hell of a claim that it's inconsequential, John. Practically inconsequential, yeah. Uh, Just to give you a small bit of a background, I... And a number of others got interested in this a couple of years ago when I got my carbon footprint from Bordea. Mm. And I, they gave me a carbon footprint. And then I got a few experts to work out what my carbon removals were. And uh, they, my carbon removals actually were greater than my carbon emissions. So I was, by definition, I was carbon neutral. Mm. And then nobody would acknowledge this and it's still one of the big... And will you tell me how, how that was the case? Um, how did you balance both? Well, my emissions, according to our board, were 717 tonnes. And uh, I had 200 acres of forestry. And according to Dr. David Stiles, that was removing around 3.5 tonnes per acre per annum. And uh, hard enough to get uh, figures for grassland removals. But I got American figures. Now, there was no research in Ireland. But since then, research has, has, been, has, been, has come to light, which was only... Was, which was only last July, uh, by Professor Gary Lanigan. Mm-hmm. And that's accurate research on Irish soil. I was, had to use American figures because there was no research available at that stage. So I, I used a tonne per acre per annum as removal. It turns out, according to Professor Lanigan, Irish mineral soils are removing about a tonne and a half per acre per annum. But I worked on a tonne, so I, it is the, 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 the maths are simple. I had 240 acres of grassland and I had 200 acres of forestry. 200 acres of forestry was removing 700 tonnes. My grassland was removing 240 tonnes. I was well on the, on the right side of carbon neutral. But um, there's no acknowledgement for a farmer in that situation. You're right. a and you, you're a dairy farmer as well, John. I'm a dairy another. farmer as okay. well. How, how, many, how many cows can I ask? 150 cows. Looking at 150 cows and, and, and followers and other cattle. Right. But, but you, you were asking, about, then, then we formed a group because we got interested in how all these things were calculated. And, and then, of course, the methane became, uh, came on the horizon. Sure. And every farmer's footprint, 65% of it is made up from the methane emitted by his cow. Mm. And methane is emitted by all livestock, all ruminants, wild and wild and domesticated, and all it has been. So the, I started to wonder why we are a- attributing such 
such global warming to ruminants. According to some experts, it's causing 20% of current global warming, which is very real. And some experts say 40% of global warming is being caused by ruminants. Now, ruminants have been on the planet 40 million years, and there's no evidence of them ever causing global warming of any kind. Right. This is the digestion of the animal, is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, every in case anybody, maybe people out there don't, don't understand it, mm. every cow every year takes in about 11 tonnes of CO2. Yes. And every bit in the forage she eats. And every bit of that goes back into the atmosphere in some shape or form. The, the, the day she consumes the forage, 50% of the CO2 that comes into her is the fuel that, that, that works the engine, that drives her. Half of that goes back into the atmosphere the day she takes it in. Hmm. The other 50% is, goes out in food and milk and meat and, and manure, mostly in milk and meat. And the carbon in that is returned to the atmosphere when you and I eat it. Mm. So we digest it. We return the carbon to the atmosphere. Two and a half percent of the carbon she takes in is emitted as methane. And that goes up into the atmosphere. And after 10 to 12 years, that converts back into CO2 and goes back to where it came from. So it's a perfectly closed-loop cycle. Mm. But the geniuses in the IPCC and the UN picked out the, the methane and said, this must be must be reviewed separately because it's methane. And they then decided it has the exact same effects as methane from fracking, as methane from mining, because it has the same chemical analysis. And we delved deep into it, and we got in touch with Professor Miles Allen at Oxford University, who was head of the Climate Science Department there. And we brought him to an Eroxus Committee hearing to go through all of this, and which he did. And Michael Fitzmaurice asked him, the very simple question, if tomorrow morning we could get rid of all the ruminants on the, on the planet, uh, both wild and, and, and domesticated, what effect would that have on the globe's temperature? And I heard his answer from a number of scientists. This isn't just Professor Allen. Over a period of 20 years, and that's the t- time it takes for whatever methane is in the atmosphere to dissipate. The vast majority of methane is gone after eight years. It's almost all gone by 10 years, but a little bit is left. So after 20 years, Everything is gone. So over a period of 20 years, he said, uh, the global temperature would drop by a few hundredths of a degree by getting rid of a billion, a billion, 1.1 billion animals, 0.1 of a billion wild ruminants and about 1 billion domesticated ruminants. The the global temperature would drop by a few hundredths of a degree on a one-off basis. That's it. That's what's to be gained by getting rid of every animal in the planet tomorrow morning. And, and uh, but what you're hearing there is the opinion of, as you say, one scientist in particular, and you no, mentioned some other scientists. But, but the general, the general it is, opinion it is, it is not disputed. It is not disputed. But, but it, is the, not, it is not contested. Yes, but the general opinion is, John, that uh, this is damaging our climate big time. The general opinion of of um, Green Party people, they're running with the with the idea that methane is the exact same as. Methane from cows it behaves in the exact same way as methane from mining. It doesn't. Right. Well, well, yeah. Well, I, I agree with you on that because I read up on that, and there's different forms of CO2, as you say, in the case of methane. It's, methane yeah. yeah, it's 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 a different ball game altogether. Yeah, but yeah. but but still, there is no doubt that I mean, I'm sure you've increased your herd considerably. Have you over the last ten years? 
I've increased my herd over the last 10 years, yep. Right, and herds are going to continue to increase, I'm told, up to about 2027. So yeah. we're, we're going to have even more methane out, out, okay. output. And you seem to be happy with some kind of a balance. But I mean, sure, that's not doing anything for the overall figure, is it? Uh, look, I'm looking here at the, the graph of the national herd since 1973 to 2021. It's in front of me here, though, right? Mm. Uh, we were at about 7.2 million in 1973, and we're at about 7.1 million today. It has oscillated up and down over the years. It peaked at 7.68 in 1998. It hasn't reached the peak yet, and has has dropped to about 6.5 in uh, 2011. Right, but in the middle of all of that, we had the quota situation, and then in 2015, the quota regime ended and that's where the big escalation started is it not in dairy in dairy cow numbers dairy, and it, yes. there has been a corresponding drop in dry cattle numbers mm. the, the irish irish livestock numbers have been by and large static for 50 years the 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 the, the make up of it has changed there's been a big drop in beef cattle numbers and a big drop in suckler cow numbers but numbers are static for the last 50 years and if you take the global population uh, globally Cattle reached uh, 1 billion, livestock reached 1 billion in 1973 again, would you believe? And today they're at 1 billion. Now, the big drop has been in wild ruminants. Wild ruminants today are down to about 80 80 million. According to David Attenborough, they were twice that 50 years ago, but I don't have figures, but they were much, much higher. So the actual overall numbers of ruminants on the planet has actually dropped the last 50 years. And in that time, the numbers of cars on our road have tripled. The number, the amount of air right, travel. But by comparison, by comparison to agriculture, I mean uh, the, transport has been hit uh, very, very hard indeed. Well, in it, it appears to us who drive our cars that farmers mm. are getting away with murder. By comparison, in what way? No, it's crazy. Well, in what way is that we seem to be paying all of the extra money all of the time, and uh, transport hit very badly indeed. Whereas agriculture is trundling away. I mean, you're increasing your herd all of the time, John. Are you not? No, no, I'm not increasing my herd all the time. I increased it from 100 cows to 150 cows over the last 10 years. Right. And, and, and do you intend increasing over the next few years? No, no. I mean, I've, I've, I've peaked. I'm, I'm at what I can go to. Right. No, I don't. No, but do you, do you take my point that what you're 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 clapping yourself on the back there for for having balance between your forestry and your dairy farming? Mm. But like. That's just balance. We need to make change, drastic changes by all accounts. Listen, the, the, the cause of global warming is burning fossil fuels, not milking cows. Fossil fuels are the problem. and try Well, to they're part, part of the problem, yes. Along it, with it transport by, and agriculture. Okay, let's, let's, let's look at, the, at global temperature increases over the last 2,000 years. Mm-hmm. I've heard, I have the graph in front of me here again. From, from, from the year one... To the year 1850, there was a 0.3 of a degree drop in global average temperatures. Mm. There was no change. During all that time, there was billions of ruminants on the planet emitting billions of tons of, of, of methane. And not a change of any... Mm. There was a slight drop in temperatures. But and from but... 1850 on, this is known as a hockey stick graph, and you have temperature changes rocketing. We've, got, we've gone up by about 1.5 degrees at this stage. In, in the last 150-odd years. And it's a bit much to say that at around the same time as we discovered how to burn fossil fuel, livestock discovered the ability to cause global warming as well because they were clearly not causing it up to then. 
there was absolutely right. no change in global temperatures. But but you're you're a smart fellow, John. You're you're not denying that there's a big issue with with climate change, are you? Oh gosh, no. no. It's a huge issue, absolutely, yeah. a massive issue. But what I am saying is that we're doing nothing for the climate, the, cli- the climate change I- issue, by trying to blame uh, agri- by trying to blame cows. Agriculture has a huge in- input in terms of burning fossil fuels. And uh, nitrous oxide is a, is, a, is a greenhouse gas, but and, and CO two, but methane from livestock never caused global warming before. For forty million years, methane from livestock has been emitted, and there's no reason to believe they can't go another forty million years and still ca- not cause global warming. What, what will you tell farmers next Tuesday night in Bursley? What will I tell them? I will tell them that they have to get to understand the issue and learn how to debate it because. We have we have been the wool has been pulled over our eyes big time, and try, trying to trying to include methane as a source of global warming is just trying to pass the book, and it's going to worsen the climate crisis because unless you deal with the actual cause, it's only going to get worse. And the actual cause of the global warming issue is burning fossil fuels. Fossil fuels alone produce thirty four and a half billion tons. Of CO2 annually. That is the problem, not milking cows. All right. Well, the Marion Hall in Bursley. Who would you like to come come along to that? I mean, is it, ju- is it just the farming community, or would you like people in general to come along to this? Oh, people in general, of course. It's yeah. very important. Everybody in general understands the the the. the the whole science of it. Yeah, well, I agree What's with you uh, around the issue of there being a single narrative on all of this. And, uh, you know, it's always good to hear another opinion on it. Uh, John, good to talk to you today, and thanks Bye-bye. for your time. Thank you, friend. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye to you now. That's John Harrigan there. Uh, talk to us about that uh, meeting that's happening in uh, Bursley at the lovely Marion Hall there. The effect of livestock on global warming is inconsequential. And that's the theme of the meeting from the New Futures Farming Group. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's TIP Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tom joins me now. Tom, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. How are you doing? And really good to talk to you today, Tom. Antisocial behaviour and the drugs issue in Clonmel, Tom. Yes, Fran. Um, I'm I'm afraid it's just not Clonmel. (laughs) But that that was part of your show this morning, Mm. which I listened to every morning. By the way, great show, fair play. And um, it's great to have people to be able to come along and voice their opinions. And my opinion this morning is that, my opinion, uh, through experience, I haven't lived in Clonmel all my life. I have lived in various cities around the country. And my opinion starts, and my uh, I feel myself that most of that uh, what's happening has started and based from various cities. The cancer has now spread. And the, the problem is that intimidation and everything that goes with that happens. And it's happening here in Clamban. And tell me about the intimidation, Tom. 
Well, the, the intimidation everybody is familiar with, fan milk. They're, they're afraid of people. If you if you report anything, you, if if you say something to them that, or if you're in town or wherever you are, that they'll find out where you live, mm-hmm. come and they'll <laughs> do various things to you or whatever. And everybody's afraid of that. So, you know, nobody wants anybody coming to their family address and and uh, you know breaking windows or. As I've seen in the city, worse things than that happening, you know. And is the genie out of the bottle on it, Tom? I mean, I'm just wondering, how do we combat it? Well, all I can say, Fran, is that the, the, the police now have powers. Um, they've had powers for, I think, maybe 15 years, going back to maybe 20 years. Uh, that situation in Limerick, where, where that, I don't want to be mentioning names, but where there's a special uh, man killed and... Mm. Yes. Yeah, I think everybody's familiar with that. Yeah, but sure. they, they were given special powers at that stage, and um, the uh, armed response got involved, and the police upped their game. And yes, they did have to have special funds and all of that, but it it did help the situation in Limerick at that time, mm. which, which was, was totally out of control. You talked about the South Hill area and all of that. It was well, totally not, not, out not of just the South Hill area. Yeah. I find it was north and south yeah. everywhere. Yeah. But the South Hill area was just an example. So, um, like, as I say, it was just unbelievable. But the, the, the problem is that I find that when I look at situations around Clannell, and I can see that we're about 10 years behind the cities, but we're catching up with them all the time as regards the, the what's happening with the drugs and the wow. So you mean there's worse to come, Tom? Oh, I could see, I could see this coming uh, five, six years ago. And I can see it getting worse and worse until they guard up their game. And they have to be funded and they have to get what they need to, to deal with this. And the problem is, I think, also is the judicial system, Fran. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a non-political person, but the judicial system has to change to deal with these people. And it's not the, oh, God, they need help. Or, oh God. They need to be sorted out, Fran, and they need to, to have the full rigours of the law thrown at them. They can't have people living in fear. And people, by the way, eventually will be living in fear because these will spread into the estates and everywhere else. Well, that's what's surprising us this morning, Tom, is that, and thank you for talking to us, by the way, because a lot of people are too afraid to talk to us. Yeah, no, um, yeah, (laughs) I'd be outspoken like that. They wouldn't bother me because what I see down in in Clonmel is that they're, they're... (laughs) <laughs> to be honest with you, they're they're the primary school kids compared to what they have in other cities. The, but the, the heavy getting, duty they, gangs and all of that. Yeah. But they're learning very quickly. Yeah, you, you see, the other thing, I mean, people are saying police, O'Connell Street, and, and, and fair play, and, and that would be great. But you're, you'll just drive it into the alleyways then, or you'll drive it into to wherever. You know, drug dealing won't stop. No. And I think the Gardaí know this. And the Gardaí are not looking for the penny any guy down in O'Connell Street. They're looking for the guy who's supplying him. Mm. And I don't want to go into any details about that sort of thing. I'm not into that. I'm not into policing. I'm an ordinary citizen. Mm. But the point of the matter is, until they up their game like they did in Limerick, um, it's going to get worse. Uh, People are going to be intimidated. And the more people are intimidated, the more the town is going to die on its backside. And you you say about you know that uh, you know the police force isn't interested in the the small time guy who's doing a couple of deals, 
But but that's where the problem is at the moment, you know. So maybe these guys need to be picked up. Okay, maybe not interested was the wrong word. Um, what I meant was they they want they want the bigger end of the story. So right. the, the small guy is going into court and coming out of court, and she looked at look. Yeah, yeah. The judicial system needs to be changed, Frank. Yeah. Uh, Frank, the judicial system in this in this country is for the criminal right now. And I can state that. I mean, I, I know you that. You really believe that? I totally believe that. Go down to any of the courthouses, friends, and sit there for a day and listen to what's going on. You, your stomach would turn. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's not the, 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 the judge, it's not the police, it's just the judicial system is wrong. They're only given a list of, of, of uh, a book to, to work on. They have to, like you're giving, you know, certain things this morning that I can't mention a name or mm. we can't do this which is to me is oh wouldn't I love to be able to. Yeah, yeah. And of you'd course. probably love to but be you able wouldn't to. wouldn't I love to be able to too, Tom. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and 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 this is how the country has gone and this is where we're at. So the judicial system in this country is for the criminal. All right, Tom, I could talk to you for an hour, but thank you so much for your time this morning, Tom. Thank Thanks you. Thanks very good, much. Good. Enjoy your show friend. Uh, Thanks Tom. And thank you. Bye-bye. Thank bye-bye. you. Bye-bye, Gina. That's uh, Tom speaking to us this morning. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Well, Tommy Barrett, uh, thanks Pat by the way uh, Tommy Barrett is a, a local activist in Thurles and he was on to us to say in relation to the flooding in Thurles on Sunday Fran, it was disgraceful firstly this could have been avoided if the drains were cleaned out and jetted annually by the local authority which they have not been for years as chairperson of Moyne Road Residents Association we spent €600 Euro over the last few weeks paying a local company to clean out the drains in our estate uh, the council are neglecting the drains in the main street uh, so we knew we had to get this done ourselves. And we will hear our councillors giving out about this again now that it's in the spotlight with nothing done as usual. Very sorry for the businesses and residents affected, says Tommy. Now, following on from our discussions over the last uh, few days, we do have a statement from Tipperary County Council on flooding. And seemingly there was a workshop yesterday held between representatives from Irish Water and the elected members of Tipperary County Council, including officials and engineers uh, from the water services section of the authority. Now, they're telling us in the statement that high on the agenda uh, was the issue of flooding in uh, Thurlistown, which results uh, following periods of uh, heavy rainfall when the combined sewer networks back up. Now, the elected members outlined the increased frequency of these events. Irish water representatives from the Wastewater Network Asset Planning Section confirmed that they were aware of the issues and that they realised the extent of the issues, which is very heartening. Um, Also, the statement goes on to say Irish water representatives were able to confirm that the flooding areas have been looked at in detail and that they plan to 
incorporate the issues into design solutions which are currently being developed by Irish Water. And uh, seemingly once design options are advanced further, uh, Irish Water will present the solutions to Tipperary County Council and uh, the authority and uh, the authority's municipal district will continue to work in partnership with Irish Water to ensure that this project addresses the issues and that appropriate and robust responses continue during any future flood events. And I'm not sure how heartened you'll be if you're in a flood uh, area in Thurlis by that statement but there you go I said I'd bring it to you anyway there's a particular focus on menopause this week as yesterday was World Menopause Day and to mark it there's a number of events taking place in the coming days right across the country now menopause has been in the spotlight of late and we've spoken to women on the show many times about the often devastating effects of menopause well Aoife McGrath is a counsellor the former broadcaster indeed here on Tip FM and she's taking part in a menopause information meeting to just over the border in Port Leash this weekend, and Aoife joins me now. Good morning to you, Aoife. Good morning, Fran. And great to hear you again on uh, Tip FM. It seems that it's only in about the last year and a half or so that we are talking about menopause, Aoife. Is that fair to say? It is. It's suddenly become a, a big a hot topic, I think, mainly thanks to a generation of um, broadcasters and influencers such as Davina McCall, who are not afraid to talk about their personal stories and bring that into their work. So this is a generation, I think, that's going to bring it to the fore and hopefully this will be the first, of, well, it's the inaugural Menopause Awareness Week, but hopefully the start of a, a broader discussion for women. Hopefully, indeed. Why weren't we able to discuss it up until recently? Well, I suppose it's that old taboo of it being shameful. I mean, we don't really talk about, sorry, listeners now but we like i'm apologizing but we don't really talk about periods women's uh, physical health in general is something that's kind of shameful if you've noticed i don't know if you noticed the adverts on telly for sanitary products are finally using red material instead of blue sure, yeah so there is a change a cultural change but also it's been it's been shrouded in sh- in shame really and uh, in secrecy because women aren't they didn't feel that they had a, a space really to talk about what they were going through a lot of um, a lot of it is quite embarrassing for them, um, and they feel sort of that menopause is sort of seen as a, a, an end of the road. That you know you've, you've lost your fertility or your purpose of bearing children. So societally, we haven't maybe dealt with menopause very well and offered women that platform to be able to speak openly about it. I have to hold my hand up here, Aoife, and say that I had very little understanding of menopause, to be honest with you, rather than the smart-arse comments that you hear about hot flushes and that sort of thing, you know. But, But men, in general, have very little understanding of this. Well, I think apart from men, I think women have very little understanding of it. I'm a woman in my early, well, I'll say early 40s. I'm mid-40s now. Um, But up until I got involved in this project, menopause for me was like, ah, sure, that's something in my 50s. I'll deal with it like that. Ah, there might be some hot flushes. And I never even heard of the word perimenopause. Mm. So if you're worried as a man that you're not connected to menopause, don't be. We're hoping to run some information nights for men. But it's more important for us that women understand that perimenopause, which has exactly the same symptoms of menopause, can happen nine or ten years before menopause. So, yeah, and actually it was very interesting to listen to Davina McCall being interviewed recently about it because there's, there's 34 symptoms of menopause. Six of those are psychological, the rest are physical. But if menopause is not on your agenda, like Davina said herself, she wasn't connecting the dots. 
So she mentioned one of her first symptoms was low anxiety and she's never had that in her life. And then some of these other physical symptoms like sleeplessness, the occasional nice um, sweat, but not all the time. But she wasn't connecting them to actually being in perimenopause. She just thought, what is, what is going on with me? I don't understand it. And that level of uncertainty and fear then around that, that we need to educate women that it, it starts a lot sooner than you think. The psychological implications that you alluded to, to there as well, that's particularly sort of shrouded in mystery and stuff because, of course, some of the psychological symptoms could be attributed to other things like depression and, and the like. Is, yes. Do we need to take care with that, Aoife? Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, like, I'm looking at the list of 34 symptoms in front of me and the psychological ones are way down at the bottom. I think they need to be, well, obviously, as a mental health practitioner, I'm mm. going to say that anyway, but they need to be highlighted more than ever because, um, and I didn't realise this again until I did some research on the topic, but I went to a counselling conference in Trinity over the summer and there was a talk on menopause and it's actually, unfortunately, a, a, a woman is most at risk of attempting suicide during the menopausal years. So it's something we really need to start monitoring. A lot more research has to be done in it. And it's, it's, the problem is twofold. The problem is that if you have an existing... Um, issue of anxiety or depression, menopause can exacerbate it. It can start to throw off the efficacy of your the medication that you're on. Um, it can start, you know, overwhelming you in ways that you you thought that you had something under control, and then suddenly you're thrown back into that whirlpool of not knowing which which way is up. But in addition to that, you can get symptoms that you've never had before. Like Davina, you can have low level anxiety. You can get low mood or even depression and not know why. And that's, that's what I find with a lot of clients, that they don't understand why they're starting to feel like this at this stage of their life. And it's only organically that we come around to discussing, well, where are you on your menopause journey? And could this be influencing what you're feeling? So it is huge. It's a huge issue. It's rarely spoken about either the damage to relationships, Aoife, and... I guess there are would be instances of damage to relationships because of menopause. Absolutely. I mean, in the past and in the not-so-distant past, there would have been women committed to psychiatric units because of what they were experiencing during right. menopause because there was such a, a misunderstanding of what was going on. It's often equated to, which I thought was quite a, 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 a useful analogy, it's like the reverse of puberty. So puberty, you get an onslaught of hormones, you get irritability, mood swings, um, lack of motivation, depression, anxiety. Um, and for menopause, you, you're getting a depletion of hormones, but exactly the same symptoms. So if you're in a relationship where you don't have open communication or this is a suddenly your, your wife is depressed or your wife is anxious and doesn't want to do certain activities, like even, you know, basically like shopping or flying mm. or anything like that. Mm. Yes, it can and it can lead to, to problems. And unfortunately, that age bracket, the 40 to 60 age bracket that we're talking about, has the highest rate of divorce. Isn't that very interesting? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, I'm not saying that's all down to menopause because we also have, that's the age of midlife crises where a lot of sports cars are purchased. So I don't want to put it all on <laughs> the woman and menopause. It's a time of great I'm, I'm blushing here when you. I'm blushing here when you said that, Aoife. <laughs> I haven't seen your wheels recently, Sam. But, but it's, like I said, it's, it's a time of change. That 40 to 60 psychologically is a huge phase for men and women. Mm. Um, but the women have the additional burden of the menopause thrown into that. The the uh, hormone treatment then, what what about that and the effect of that? 
Now, I can't really talk about that side of things, Fran, because I'm not... Of course. I don't really have... I'm not a medical expert. I don't have um, the answers for you on that. I know that HRT has been brought in. There was, a, I think, a breast cancer risk um, link uh, yes. scare a while back, and it was removed, but it is back. There's various forms that you can take. Now, it's, it can be pills, it can be patches. Um, but in general, not everyone can take it, and I think that's the... The problem with it, not everyone's menopausal journey is going to be the same. Not everyone's treatment is going to be the same. And if you can't, for whatever reason, take HRT, then it's important to look at what other things you could be doing for yourself. Well, you see, that in itself is very interesting, Aoife, because, again, the perception is there. If you look, if you have the symptoms of menopause, go and take HRT and you'll be grand. Yeah, and it's not. And HRT can be a hard one, I think, just from anecdotal evidence, it can be a hard one to balance to get the hang of or to get the balance right. Um, it's not a, a cure-all and it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all in terms of treatment if you can't actually take it. Um, so it isn't. There isn't, mm. There isn't unfortunately, um, a fix for, for everyone that's going to work. For that. Have you looked into, Aoife, why some... I mean, I know two women in particular who have sailed through this. Yes. Well, that's the thing. And that's, that's also probably the issue of why it hasn't come to the fore today this is some people do sail through it they have absolutely zero symptoms they might have the odd um sleepless night they might have the odd foggy brain um but in general they don't and that can be a, fam- a familial trend as well that you know it tends to be we don't suffer from their menopause but it's not the case for everybody and some people suffer terribly from it and just in that um you know the back to the suicide thing i often said as a journalist with my journalist head on i wondered why so many women in their mid-40s to 60s would go missing and you'd have these appeals on the radio. Now, I'm not correlating the two. Mm. I know that more mm. research needs to be done, but definitely it's a time of huge psychological pressure for women. And unfortunately, as those statistics say, a lot of those missing women, the, the, the result is going to be tragic when they're found. So there is there's definitely things that are beyond a woman's sort of control in terms of what's happening for her psychologically. There's also the fact that as mothers, as women, we're having children much later in life. So not only could you be perimenopausal, but you could be perimenopausal with a a baby or a toddler or young children, which just adds pressure to a situation that's already um, can be for some people uh, quite... Um, I'm I'm sure it will be indeed. Um, This coming Saturday then, what's on offer in Port Eishifa? We ran our first evening in Matmelik in Leash um, back in August. And basically, I will be talking what I've sort of highlighted here, some of the psychological um, challenges and what you can do to mind yourself. Um, Then we have an excellent nutritionist who will be going through the dietary supplements you should be looking at, what you shouldn't be eating, what you should be eating, because diet is a huge part of menopause um, control or... um, is it? Wow. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Because you're you're losing. You there are other ways to replenish those hormones that you're losing, and there are supplements that will do that, which don't involve HRT. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. natural substances. Yes. Interestingly enough, I think one of them was um, two of the the the, the items you mentioned the last time were I think chickpeas and lentils, and in cultures where those are used a lot in cuisine, the the um, menopause would not really be an issue for women. That's incredible. But you'd have to be eating a huge amount. Mm, yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to completely change your diet 
she had some excellent tips about what to, to uh, things like alcohol and sugar, huge yeah. issues um, for menopausal women, unfortunately. When we start to crave cake, which is just unfair, I think, um, we do crave sweet stuff and it's just the stuff that we should be avoiding. That's interesting indeed. If people want to go along, can they do that from Tipperary? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's free. It's a free event. It's it's held in the Methodist Church in um, Port Leash. There's, mm-hmm. there's a fantastic and very uh, persuasive community leader who got me involved. Um, now, it is a church setting. might not be to everyone's liking, but it's just a very calm, neutral space where people can, the presenters are going to do their presenting, and then there's going to be Q&A. There's a raffle for a small prize for reflexology because we would be promoting self-care, minding yourself. And just, uh, yeah, anyone's welcome, absolutely. So it's the, the Methodist Church in Portage is just beside the train station, so you can't miss it. And registration, I think, starts at 5.30. So everyone's welcome, absolutely. Oh, and uh, Emma will have details on that if anybody requires. It's great to hear your voice on Tip FM again, Thanks uh, very Aoife. Much, Thank you so much and look after yourself. Thank you. I will, you too. Take Bye-bye care. Bye-bye to you now. That's uh, Aoife McGrath speaking to us today about menopause in general and about that event that's happening at the Portage Methodist Church on Station Road there in Portage, you know, Portlaoise, um, on this coming Saturday at half past five, eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And now lots into us. Let me just bring you a taste of what's been coming in. Mike was on to us and Mike is a farmer and he says, I unknowingly was driving around in my Jeep for over a year uh, without tax I obviously was never stopped in that time. Wouldn't that tell you about the presence of Gardaí? Of course, I had to back tax it anyway. But my point is that I never met a guard. Keep up the good work uh, to Fran and uh, the team. Um, Somebody else saying, Fran, that's what drug dealers want. It's to make people uh, afraid of them so they can continue on with their antisocial behaviour and the dealers can do their business with ease. The dogs on the streets know uh, who's doing this and nobody's touching them. Okay, yeah, somebody else saying, let's call a spade a spade, Fran. It's a lawless society that we're living in currently. Um, somebody else saying, uh, well done, Fran. I'm absolutely stunned and in shock. Wow, I'm nearly 50 years old and that's the first time I ever heard a farmer answer that age-old question. How many cows do you have? Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, Jimmy was on to say, I agree with John and carbon emissions. It's time the geniuses who tell us otherwise listened to common sense. All right, then it's time for our orthopaedic surgeon, Mr. Stuart Edwards, who joins me now. Good morning to you, Stuart. Morning, Frank. And thanks very much indeed for coming on with us uh, My today. Pleasure. I, I was just looking at the the weather coming into it. It's all gone very damp and miserable and wintry now. Mm-hmm. So, do, does that affect the hips and the knees and the? Yeah, it, it actually does. I mean, we, we're not we're uncertain of the actual scientific reason for it, but it may be something to do with the barometric pressure and how it affects the sort of edema or swelling within the bone marrow. And I think that increases the the pain level. So lots of patients will tell you they feel the damp, they feel the cold, 
and their joint pains are, are much worse in the in the winter months. So it is true. It's not. I don't think it's an old wives' tale, and I think it, it, it's something to do with the barometric pressure. It's very interesting, isn't it? Uh, lots of questions in for you, Stuart. Uh, the first one in this morning was from Joe, who says, I'm waiting to see a surgeon about my hips. Some days I'm grand, other days I'm stiff as a poker. I can go for a walk each day. On wet days I use a treadmill. Is there anything I can do to relieve the uncomfortable stiffness? Yeah, I mean, it's stay, staying mobile is really important. So, the fair play to them for doing that. It's really important to to keep mobile. Um, you can take anti-inflammatories if they're not contraindicated. Um, so, if you have no problems with your kidneys or your tummy, then a mild anti-inflammatory can help with stiffness too. Um, and just staying mobile, really. There's little else. You could try glucosamine and chondroitin sulfate, which is something that patients take for their joints, and sometimes that can be beneficial. But other than that, really, you need a diagnosis, and we need to to get an X-ray of the hip or, or indeed an MRI just to get a diagnosis to to see how bad the degeneration is, if indeed it is degeneration, and then maybe an injection may help too. And uh, the the issue with the hip causes stiffness in the leg. Is that is that what's yeah, it frequently causes pain in the groin, um, whereas patients feel that it's normally around their bottom area. Actually, the hip joint is in the groin. So groin pain that goes down to the knee with stiffness is 90% of the time a hip-related problem. Um, and all joint problems with degeneration cause stiffness, pain, deformity, and crepitus, which is like a sound, a cracking sound in the joints. They're the, the sort of the cardinal signs of, of, of arthritis of the joint. Another listener says, I have a pain in my knee, it's going down my shin and it's burning around the ankle. Uh, does Mr. Edwards have an opinion on this? Yeah, um, sometimes a burning sensation normally means that a nerve is being pinched on um, in the back that can give a burning sensation. So whenever patients talk about burning pain or a uh, electric shock like pain it's normally nerve related so uh, it may be a referred pain uh, from the back with pinching on the nerve particularly if it's going down to the ankle knee pain very rarely goes all the way down to the ankle um, um, and I think it may be something related to the back so get get it checked out get an x-ray of the knee and then perhaps get an, an MRI scan of the back and that will help us hone in on where, where the worst problem is there's so much uh, investigation involved in a lot of your diagnosis, I would imagine. There, there is, Fran. A lot of the time, within two or three minutes of a conversation with a patient, um, I've, I've pretty much honed in on, on what two differential diagnoses there are. And then the investigations are there to prove or disprove those sort of um, hypotheses, really. Um, but a lot of the time, you know, you really know, you can see them walking down the corridor, the patients, and you know what the issue is before they even get into your room. Um, so it's all about, medicine's a lot about pattern recognition, and this is what was is sort of instilled upon us through our medical training about protocols and pattern recognition. And uh, frequently you can get a diagnosis very quickly, and then you're just there with the investigations to prove or disprove that. That's interesting. So even by a posture or a way of walking or something, yep. is it by a Absolutely. Gait? Yeah. 
Isn't that yeah, there's, there's about 20 different gait patterns that are associated with either a stroke or a drop foot or arthritis in the knee, arthritis in the hip, etc., etc. Yeah. All right, Jim is in Nina, and he's wondering about very sore knuckles after doing work and also at the base of the thumb, which at times can be extremely sore. Now, he was advised to take some uh, paracetamol, but this just simply doesn't work for him. Yeah, it, that's, it really sounds like there's degeneration or arthritis in the joint. The base of the thumb is one of the most common places to get arthritis in, in, in your body, um, and particularly primary arthritis, and it more it affects women more than men. Uh, but the base of thumb arthritis is, is, a, is a very, uh, a very uh, um, um, high cause of, 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 of suspicion of arthritis. Um, and it's because the forces at the base of your thumb joint are actually quite immense, um, and that's what can lead to degeneration to that joint. So uh, I would take some anti-inflammatories, get a, a plain X-ray of the hand to to get the diagnosis. The problem then is what what options do you have? You can sometimes fuse the joints, sometimes you can replace the little joints, even in the knuckles and the thumb. So the, uh, seeing a hand specialist may help. Wow, but you can replace some of the the the, yeah. the knuckles and yeah. the, isn't that incredible? You can, you yeah. can with little tiny joints. Um, now, the, sometimes they work well, sometimes they don't work so well because the, the it's not like the hip and the knee where you've got a big joint. These are really tiny joints, and the, relatively speaking, the force across them is much greater than that across a knee joint. Um, and it's you know, so sometimes they do wear out quite quickly. But the technology is improving. All right. Uh, a listener says, I suffer from tendonitis bursitis. Uh, I had an MRI scan on it. Uh, I have it for a few months. It's very painful uh, with every step. Physio exercises and rubs have done nothing for me. I'm also uh, hearing a clicking joint with every step. My life is very restricted and I'm on a crutch now to help relieve the, the pain. Is there anything else that I should be doing? Yeah, I mean, by the sounds of it, the, the, the listeners talking about their hip bursa. They haven't specified, but it sounds like it's a hip bursa. Um, and you can get a clicking sensation with that as well, as the what we call the IT band can rub across the bursa. Um, injections can be very useful. If you've tried physio and stretches and ultrasound and anti-inflammatories, the next stage would be to try an injection, uh, whereas steroids injected into the, the inflamed bursal sac and that can help reduce the pain and the clicking and, and it can work in 80% of cases um, and give good relief uh, Joe who you spoke about earlier was on, it's, it's a female Joe by the way, but uh, says pass on my thanks my thanks to uh, Mr Edwards I've had an x-ray, I've moderate to severe arthritis in both hips, so mm. is that, she hasn't seen her surgeon yet but is it possible that both hips would be replaced, is that Yep. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, it, it depends on in the, where you are and what facility you have. I would tend to do one at a time mm. um, because I think it's, it's quite a big surgical insult to have one or to have both at the same time. So I'd do one at a time. But yeah, absolutely. 50% of patients that have arthritis in one hip are likely to develop it in the other. Um, so it's, it's quite common to have it in both joints. Right, another listener says, my left knee is fine most of the time, but occasionally, with no warning, it can give a start and go from under me uh, with a very temporary but sharp pain. Any thoughts on this? Yeah, um, it depends on the age profile of the patient. If they're 
50s, 60s and above, the, the most likely diagnosis is arthritis. Um, and when you just put your knee in a certain position, you can get the bone on the bone that can give a sharp pain and can give a sense of giving way. Um, uh, if you're younger, in your younger years, then, for example, an ACL tear can cause instability to the knee um, and as the knee is becoming unstable it causes pain so one is where you get pain and it causes uh, a feeling of instability and the other is instability of the knee that then causes pain so it depends on the age profile and depends on whether they've got any ligamentous laxity or ligament injuries that can cause instability so uh, a plain x-ray of the knee or an MRI of the knee will help to decipher which it is Speaking of MRI, one of our listeners is wondering, does an MRI of the back cover the hips? Uh, tends not to. Lots of patients, that's a good question, Fran, lots of patients come in and they say they've had an MRI, in inverted commas. Um, the problem with an MRI is it, it needs to be focused because um, a lot of the population over certain ages may have changes in their back or their hip. And what's important is to understand whether those changes are in relation to symptoms because you may have a bit of a warm back, but it causes you no pain whatsoever. So you have to focus your MRI. You can't do a total body MRI. And a back MRI would look at the lumbar spine. It wouldn't even look at the thoracic spine or the cervical spine. So your surgeon needs to hone in on particular areas where he feels the pathology is. Um, otherwise, you get red herrings. So you may get an MRI of the hip that says there's a little bit of wear and tear, but actually, if the patient's asymptomatic and doesn't have any symptoms, that that's just uh, an incidental finding. So we, we tend to hone in on the MRIs. Uh, just finally, if you would, Alyssa was talking about degeneration in neck vertebrae, uh, taking medication mm. for this, I presume that's pain medication, but also going on to say, I seem to have developed tinnitus in one ear. Is this related? Don't think so. Um, you can get occipital headaches with, with cervical in the back of the head, um, but it's unusual to get tinnitus from a cervical spine issue because normally the nerves around, they're called your cranial nerves, and they don't come down at that level where, where you have other nerves from C1 to, to C8. So I think that may be something different. Um, I'd pop along to get your ears checked out from your GP. Um, it's unlikely it's related, um, but um, you know, getting an MRI of the neck and an MRI of the brain might help decipher. All right, uh, Stuart, always a pleasure, and we appreciate your time this morning. Thank my, you. My pleasure, Frank. Good, good Thank morning you. to you. That is orthopaedic uh, consultant, Mr. Stuart Edwards, and he is based in uh, Kilkenny at Old Even hospital there in uh, Kilkenny and he is much sought after and indeed is recognised as uh, one of the um, very important people in his particular field as well. Let's go back to the phone lines and this time to Tom. Tom, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. And good good to hear from you today, Tom. Uh, you live near Clohean and you have some comments based on our, our piece this morning from Clohean and indeed that RTE programme over the weekend. Yeah, just look, um, I suppose I'm coming at it from a history point of view, Fran. I was on with you there before. Um, sure. we, we marked Sean Hogan's uh, first march there uh, near Clahean. Um I suppose, in my opinion, uh, it's, a, it's a massive um, landscape of revolution um, area. Uh, kind of totally untapped. Uh, the amount of activity that went on there um, was enormous. Like, um, 
if, you, if, you're, if you're on the road there from Ballyluvi uh, to Caheen, you'll pass uh, Crocatour, mm-hmm. which was the first uh, place where Sean Hogan set up a headquarters locally. And go on then, a half mile further on, um, you had the site of uh, a major ambush uh, known as the Highlands Cross Ambush, mm-hmm. uh, or the Gary Moore Ambush there. Uh, Tommy Beery's living there um, at it. But that was um, in April 1921 where the 3rd um, Brigade, uh, number one flying column under Dinny Lacey and number two under Sean Hogan combined. And it was a successful ambush. Um, the, there was no casualties on um, the IRA side. There was a couple on the other side. But when they were pulling away from the ambush, um, uh, RIC uh, man, Mr. Potter, um, he arrived on and he was he was taken, kidnapped at that ambush. Uh, he was later executed by the IRA. But again, um, that's Gary Moore. Uh, now, there's no sign or anything there to signify the ambush. Um, it's also, interesting enough, Gary Moore was the site of uh, where the white boys uh, were formed in that town's land. Mm. And the white boys were an agrarian movement, um, Athenian and... Um, Against against landlords, uh, yeah, largely, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, and you're dragging yeah. in then the whole uh, Father Sheehy, of course, mm. who's, who's buried in Shanran yeah. Cemetery, um, and then just to uh, Bally Boy. Then, uh, if you're go further on from Gary, the Gary Moore ambush site, you have the field where Sean Tracy first drilled the IRA. Uh, it's one of Ellie Quinn's field there, and uh, Walsh's was the farm. Uh, another very important place where all the, the big names stayed. Mm. Um, and then I'm pulling into Cahine then in my head here and I'm, I'm, I'm going over the bridge and um, I'm across from the, the great PJ English's uh, fruit shop there. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the corner there you have uh, where Bridget Gleeson and Morris McGrath lived uh, following the War of Independence. And um, I've, I've wrote a bit about Bridget. I first discovered her when I was... Um, uh, researching the number two column. But basically, Bridget was the main um, coming to one uh, lady in Carmel. She had a business at 30 Mitchell Street, which is now the site of a flower shop there, Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. But Bridget and her family, um, they uh, basically it was a meeting place for the, for the lads. Uh, again, all the main lads were in there Dan Breen, Sean Tracy. Um, her first husband, Patrick Gleason, had been involved, um, he was in the British Army. So they kind of went under the radar. They weren't suspected. Uh, uh, Patrick died, and then while nursing Morris, uh, who was a native of Burncourt, there out the road, Cahine, um, they fell in love, and um, they uh, got married. But Morris was a stalwart, again, of the number two column. And um, there's a plaque on the wall there, actually. Uh, the, I think there's a Fianna Fáil come meeting there. Uh, Dan Breen uh, attended it. And Passing P.G. English's um, shop then, you have the community hall. Mm. And then you have the, the site of the famous uh, Tom Clark, who we all know, the, one of the executed leaders of 1916. And uh, Tom's mother, Mary Palmer, uh, was from further down the street. They, did a, they have a lovely plaque up there on the wall, just across from uh, the, the XL shop there, Brown. And um, they got married there. And... Um, so, like, mm. around the back then, of, uh, if, you're, if you're heading up the V, there's actually a 1916 garden there. We actually had a lovely commemoration there, PJ organising a few of the locals. 
Um, so it's a, it's a remarkable area, Tom. I'm not, I'm not sure if you heard that RT piece, but was there any reference made to the history of the locality, for instance? Well, you see, I actually, I actually, I got sent it. I haven't actually listened to it yet. Yeah. But I just heard the conversation this morning um, about Claheen yeah. and. Um, I've heard that it was quite quite negative uh, what was said about the place. But I mean, I'm in Clahine every morning there. Uh, my kids get the bus to the CVS in uh, Mitchellstown. Like Clahine's a hive of activity. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but while I'm at it there, like I mean, history, Irish history especially, um, there's the huge untapped potential there uh, around the Clahine environment. And you mean all of that, all of what you said to me there, could be tied together in some sort of a what? In some sort of a, a, a walkthrough? Or yeah, a... well, I, I've, I've discussed it. I've, I've approached a few people about this, and I've also... Uh, uh, PJ uh, English, is, he's the, a local historian there. It was the fruit shop. But PJ and myself have, have, have talked about this. At the moment, I'm involved with the uh, recently discovered um, IRA map that's in the source. Um, myself and Josephine O'Neill, and that's you can go over and view that. But mm. uh, if you if you're on the road um, from Clahine, um, uh, heading for Clamell, you'll near you're heading for the area called Greg. If you turn down to the right there, you have the big mills, which was Grubbs Mills. Sure. Um, yes. But all that area into the left there is Greg. Now again, huge a hotbed of activity. Uh, we've Murphy's uh, was the headquarters there. I visited there um, the other day. Uh, again, we've letters that uh, the Murphy family wrote and detailing. Uh, it was a kind of place where lads, there were obviously the flying column were there. Uh, the building is actually still standing. Um, you had Michael Slattery's house across the field, you had Keneally's. So there's so much stuff there. And oh. Tom, Tom, sadly I'm running out of time, Tom, but is, is there any talk about tying this all together in some sort of a project? Or Can I just say as well, like, there's there's old Boreens and, like, you have the likes of Sean Tracy's house over in Salahead. Sure. But, like, these, these places are going to be gone if they're not minded. And I don't know whether it's a case of locals getting together and saying this is where that happened or whatever, but like, as I say, from a history point of view, in my opinion, Sahin and its environs within 10K there is a mecca for uh, Fenian, Republican history. Uh, you know, it's, it's huge, and I think it's on tap completely, and hopefully now... Maybe we're talking about it. Something will come of it. Well, hopefully so indeed, Tom. Always good to talk to you. And thank you for your time this morning, Tom. That's Tom Hennessy speaking to us this morning. We'll take a break. Back with more. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip today on 1800 938 007. Now, Be Well 50 Plus is a holistic wellness programme designed by Neil Dennehy. And Neil has uh, many years' experience in fitness training and physical therapy and therapeutic mindfulness with a, an, emphasis, an emphasis on tension in the body and uh, the mind and restoration of all of that. And he joins me in studio now. Good morning to you, Neil, and thanks for coming in to us uh, today. Will you tell me about this programme that's coming up? Hi, Fran. Yeah, I'm running this uh, new um, Be Well program, 50 plus. 
and it's aimed towards obviously people in the 50 plus category and it's geared around um, the essentials of health and well-being so you know that starts out with uh, the physical the physical movement of the body um, mobility obviously becomes more of an issue as time goes on mm. um, but it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be the case a lot of that is down to our daily habits and our lifestyle habits um, use it or lose it is one of the top principles mm. of fitness and if, if we want to have strength we must use our strength if we want to have flexibility we must use our flexibility and so on so the the program the exercise part of each class in the in the BOL program is geared around functional movement skills so you start you literally work your way through the body joint by joint movement through movement and um, you're looking at easy movement in the body ease or disease is very important okay. when it comes yeah. to health you know and uh, you know a lot of people like my good self indeed would have been a couch potato for many years and then when we get into our 50s we'd say Jenny Mac I better do something yeah. is, is it ever too late? No No, no. No, no, no. It's it's use it or lose it. But the the ability is dormant. The the physical ability and fitness is dormant in the body. It's waiting to be woken back up. That's that's okay. how I would look at it. You know, yeah. obviously, you know, you may not get back to your peak, twenty year old self, but uh, you can still bring it on an awful lot. They've they've proven it in studies up to um, people in their nineties can actually improve on strength with strength training exercises. Can improve on flexibility and so on. It's good, good to hear that indeed. Balance, coordination, all of that kind of thing that can be done because we were speaking to uh, to Stuart Edwards there who is a, a consultant uh, a surgeon and he was talking about hips breaking and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, knees and all of this kind of thing. And that's about imbalance, I suppose, and stuff when you're vulnerable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, If, you're, if your balance is, is poor, your strength is poor, it's more, you're much more likely to take a fall. If you trip, you can't catch yourself as quickly. We'll all get a little trip every so often, but the difference is whether you hit the floor or not. Yes. If there's less strength in the body, the body can't take the impact in the same way as a strong body can. If you're um, less elastic when you hit a, a rigid thing will break whereas an elastic flexible thing will bend and it'll absorb an impact you know so that makes a huge difference right tell um, me about the mind a mindfulness aspect of this then because i guess it's all holistic isn't it, it all it works is. together yeah it yeah. has to it has yeah. to really um yeah so the mindfulness aspect therapeutic mindfulness um probably even more specifically is around using mindfulness which is is around being present in the moment and sort of taking a break from the past ruminations and the future thinking and the distractions and being where you are and doing what you're doing so it's a focus and the therapeutic side is using that in ways that improve our health and well-being so from a a mindfulness point of view if you have somebody who's suffering with anxiety and stress which brings tension in the body and it upsets our hormonal balance uh, and it can distract us from what we're doing so we end up in the car crash mm-hmm. or we end up tripping because we're not watching what we're doing or we're, we're a bit mindless in climbing ladders that maybe we shouldn't be climbing and you mm-hmm. know we, we're not really focused on what we're doing um, using mindfulness in, in, in a healthy way means being much more aware of what we do, how we do it, how we sit how we hold ourselves, am I carrying tension, am I relaxed um, am I breathing easily or am I holding myself tight um, things like am I stressing about something that may never even happen am i 
spending my days filling my mind with worries and, and fears that I just don't need to have. You know? And so many of us do. We do, yeah. 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 It's very common. Yeah. It's, 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 it's natural to us from an evolutionary point of view. Um, seemingly the warriors survived better to to pass on their genes, whereas the, the daredevils didn't, <laughs> didn't last as long. It's interesting, isn't it? But you know, funny enough, when you spoke about that, you know, how we hold ourselves, I became aware and all of a sudden I realised that my shoulders are just up, up by here, noticing, you know, just Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what mindfulness is. And it's practice. It's called mindfulness practice. The more you practice that awareness of yourselves, yourself, the more obvious it is when you're holding tight when you're worrying when you're maybe doing something that isn't really good for you and you go God, here I am again doing it but then you have the opportunity to change whereas when you're not aware you've, you can't change something you, you, you when you're can't not aware change. and those yeah. sort of stresses I guess can lead into all sorts of other issues whether it's sleep or you know and sleep is a big thing isn't sleep it sleep is you know? huge yeah, yeah. sleep is huge it, it's during sleep that the majority of our growth and repair takes place the vast majority of our immune cells are made while we sleep you know, so if you're lacking in sleep or even or good quality sleep, your body can't do these processes. It can't perform these to the level that it should and it wants to. So over time, you get away with one night if you're not sleeping great or two. Mm-hmm. But if it's an ongoing thing day after day or week after week, eventually the body will start to show. It'll take its toll. And of course... Older people tend to develop sleep issues, do they not? Yeah, they do. It does. We, we tend not to need as much sleep um, through the night. And then there's other factors that might wake us during the night. But um, we, we, what we need to do is try to counter that then with power naps during the day as well and mm. listen to the body. You know, a lot of people, they go for the shot of coffee to stay awake, you know, instead of saying, well, my body is saying I'm tired, rest. Yes. Take some rest. You know, if that's an option, take the rest. Right. L- listen your, listen your, to listen the Listen to your body, yeah. and that's around awareness too. Yeah. You know? What about pain? Because again, I know it's mostly associated with older age, but whether it's arthritic pain or, or from, for other reasons, and, and dealing with that, I guess. Yeah, well, if you've got, there's a few angles mindfulness can help um, with pain. The first thing is that if you're mindful and you're listening to your body, you will probably deal with the pain quite early you won't wait until it's so bad that you've no other choice you'll say well this thing isn't working so well just like you would with your car if it was playing up a little bit you don't wait until it explodes mm-hmm. or the smoke coming out of the exhaust you know you deal with it early and that can save you a lot of trouble um, another thing is that pain especially chronic pain uh, has a, a strong emotional Mm. aspect yes. to it. Yeah. and depending on our mental emotional state you know if you're in a good place and you're solid and you're grounded and you have a pain well it's it's just a pain mm. it's just a pain to deal with and you deal with it but if it's there's mental emotional issues going on as well and you're really hyping it up and and your pain in your mind becomes a more chronic thing that you're, you're, you know, you're thinking down the line, oh mm. my God, this must be awful and I'll never get better. Then you've added layers and layers on top of that and now you're overwhelmed and it's much worse. Right, you but know. you can do something about that. You can, you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mindfulness practice, it's, um, it, a lot of it is geared around the senses. So you use your senses. So you come into your body and you feel into your body, which is what you did as soon mm. as you, yeah. you became aware of your physical position. Um, you can focus on your breathing. Breathwork is, a, is another one that's been used for thousands of mm-hmm. years. Um, you can focus on something that you're looking at. So you've got your your um, uh, transcendental meditation where you maybe focus on a candle flame or mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. 
um, and different listening practices. There's ways of just bringing your attention to something in you or something around you, and that distracts you from the the mind, the overthinking side right. of things. Right. So you train yourself to become better at that. Then you can decide, well, I'm going to actually become aware of my thoughts instead of having them playing in the background, still affecting you, but I'm actually going to face them and look at them. And then you might say, you know what, I don't need to have that thought. That actually doesn't even make sense. It's, 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 there's a, it's illogical. Yes. You know, and you say, okay, I'm going to find out more about this and I'm going to get to the root of it. So instead of carrying all the fears and all the hyped up thoughts and fears, you bring it back to the, an appropriate level and you deal with that. And it sounds very gentle, a very gentle oh, way to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. 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 yeah, it has to be. Tell us about the programme then, if people want to get involved. I presume it's several classes, is it? It is, yeah. it is. Um, continuity and consistency is very important with health. You know, it's, um, it's, it's practice. It's like training for anything. You mentioned the piano earlier. You know, yeah. you didn't get good at piano by, by practising once and, and suddenly yes. you could do it. So... Yeah. Um, the classes will be run for the public in four-week blocks, and, and that gives you an opportunity to try different techniques and learn the, the physical program and get used to it. But it will continue after that if, if people want to continue. So the, the first class is starting this evening, actually, at Place For You in Clamell. Mm-hmm. Um, 7.30 Glad- p.m. Gladstone Street there. Gladstone in, Street. In well, the place for you, the, the cafe part where we were having the classes just off Morton Street. Okay. Yeah. But um, maybe we can give the phone number out and people can get course, in touch. Of course we can, Andy, because if people you, people need to register with you and they so do, on, do yeah, they? Okay. Yeah, and that yeah. number is? It's 087-629-3729. Okay, so that's 87 087- Six two nine three seven two nine, and again, uh, Emma will have details of this as well. So, are you full for this evening? Or? I have a couple of spaces. You have left. A couple of spaces. Yeah, okay. still a couple of spaces left. Um, I am hoping to run these some daytime classes as well because I know not everybody wants to go out in the evenings, mm. you know, in the dark nights. Mm. So, if the interest is there and the numbers are there, we we'll, we can get those going quite soon. Right. If I represent a group of people, for example, can you can you deal with that? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've done that in the past, and they work very well because you've got a group of people that know each other already okay. so it's it's very easy to organize yeah there's a social element yeah to that absolutely well. and, and that's actually involved in the even the public classes because the social side of things is so important for general well-being um we're including a 30 minute option of a cup of tea and a chat afterwards so we're leaving that time aside if people want to hang on afterwards for a chat. so that could be the social aspect to it as well of course yeah. good and okay. hopefully we'll have a bit of crack around the class as yeah, well sure then. absolutely yeah. uh, that phone number again for neil is 87 629 i presume he'll be picking up on that over the next while so it's neil dennehy it's the be well program 50 plus move better think better feel better and look better and i need all of that i assure you neil it's lovely to see you today thanks very much indeed for coming Thank in you, to Frank. Us. that's it for me emma produced ali looked after our content this morning Stephen is on the way and i'll talk to you tomorrow bye-bye Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.